Welcome to Between the Gunners, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's up, everybody? Hello, My everyone. fellow in-betweeners. <laughs> in-betweeners. Gutter trash. Our favorite <laughs> fans are our, our gutter-tastic trash fans. <laughs> uh, with us today, we also have another special guest, our, our good friend and, uh, you know, Friend of the show and uh, constant contributor, Alexander Shanus. Say what up. What up? Howdy, yo, everybody. Yo, yo. So today, uh, what we're going to cover is with the completion of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we've decided that we're going to go and do our post-miniseries autopsy for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So this is... The last one we did was the Wontopsy. I will lo- affectionately call this the Falktopsy. Falktopsy. Here we go. I'm going to try to make this happen. I'm going to see if I can get this to trend, guys. Because... Hashtag Falktopsy. Hashtag Falktopsy. Hashtag Topsy Turvy. TikTok Falktopsy. <laughs> At... Deliciousness. <laughs> is that enough uh, media things for you guys? Is it? Uh, that Are was, you not entertained? My head is just probably, swirling now. It was probably all those many more that I needed. All right. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, Drew, like, what do you want to start with here? Well, we are going to dive straight into a completely spoilful spoilerful <laughs> discussion of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So You heard that boys and girls? Yep. This episode spoy-ful. is going to be full of spoil. It's just <laughs> full of spoil. So, you better unhinge your jaw and prepare to take in all that spoil, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Albert is on something else right now, man. It's called methamphetamines. <laughs> I've been awake for 48 hours. You are so excited right now. I'm so ex- excited for the spoy. I'm going to say, it's, it's the spoy driving him forward. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're assuming that if you're listening to this episode, you've watched the show in its entirety. And yeah, we're just going to go straight into... Everything that can possibly be spoiled here. First of all, though, we got to give a shout out to Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. Got to give them credit for creating the Winter Soldier, man. Because uh, I don't know if all of you listeners are aware, but right around the time the show came out, Ed Brubaker, he has this newsletter, and he he was sh- somebody in his in his newsletter. Somebody asked him. Uh, if he was excited for for this upcoming show since it's got Bucky in it, and although he didn't create Bucky, he he and Epting created the Winter Soldier, you know, bringing Bucky back from the dead, which we discussed in uh, the Captain America Marvel Top 25 episode we did many months ago. But but anyway, somebody asked Brubaker what his thoughts were, and he said that he kind of has mixed feelings whenever he he hears the Winter Soldier come up because. Disney really doesn't give him an Epting any love or, you know, financial compensation really for 
riding on the coattails of their ideas and creations, he said that he actually gets more royalty money from his cameo in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the movie, than he does for every time that the Winter Soldier actually appears in a movie. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, his cameo was literally just a couple of seconds. It was just a scene. Yeah. I mean, you ask me if I believe it as though I shouldn't, but, like, I'm not surprised. I mean, they probably have bigger contracts when it comes to, like, movie presence than they than he probably did when he initially signed his contract with Marvel to write the story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's work for hire, right? So once once he did his work, as far as they're concerned, they paid him his monies, and the character is, you know... There's yeah. to do with as they see fit. Exactly. Right. And also, like, I don't know if he necessarily expected it to resonate so well with the readership to the point that when they were actually going to make Captain America movies, that it was going to feature the Winter Soldier literally in the second, in the second, you know, in the first Captain America sequel. Like, you think of all the Captain America characters that they could have done things with, they opted for that one. Yeah. I mean,. It was either that or have Captain America become a werewolf. <laughs> Who wrote that? Mark was Grunewald. That, that was yeah. a bad era. Of then Mark Captain. Grunewald would be upset because he's not getting money. He's not getting paid. <laughs> Unfortunately, Mark Grunewald passed away quite some time ago. So. Oh. <laughs> Wait, why am I laughing? <laughs> because you're on methamphetamines right 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 everything's right, right. hilarious to you right i now. forgot about that <laughs> meth kids it's a hell of a drug <laughs> but, but here's the thing if you think about it 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 really wouldn't cost disney that much to just show some appreciation for the creators of the comics but if you think about what if marvel did give brubaker and epting some more money because of the Winter Soldier, then they they would have to give money to every comic book creator whose yeah. works that they, uh, you know, strip mine for inspiration. So I guess it would be from Disney's perspective they don't want to set that kind it's of precedent. Precedent, yeah. You mean I mean they don't set the precedent of of, being, of of saying thank you for creating these ideas from which we're now banking millions billions of dollars on. That's exactly what I'm saying. Fair enough. Yeah. So I I think that actually hurts the comics in the long run because now you're gonna have super talented creators like your Brubakers and Eptings and so on and so forth. Yeah, maybe you're people. Just gonna dial it in. Yeah, maybe people will still. Of, of course, people will still be writing Marvel and Marvel and DC comics and stuff. But at the end of the day, they're Who's probably gonna, gonna, gonna their save A-game. their best ideas for themselves. You know. Yeah. They're gonna save their creations for themselves. Or the other possibility now is that. Now that like the market focus has kind of shifted, as writers get contracted to write stories, they are probably in a stronger negotiating position, saying with the awareness that whatever they write now has a higher propensity of being turned into an alternative media product, which will make more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they can, so they can like sit down and say, "Hey, I want to negotiate a better contract," which I, I think people should, in, in general, for any kind of job. You know, you'd never take the first offer; you counteroffer. Yeah. Because look after your best interests. But I think at the time when Brubaker and Epting were writing, you know, the, creating the Winter Soldier and writing Captain America, well, this was what two. This is like 2005. 2005. 
So this is even before they started making the Marvel movies, right? Yeah. Like three years before, because I think Iron Man came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. So, like, nobody knew what was going to happen, right, at that point. Like, I don't think Iron Man was even in development except for, like, until maybe 2006, 2007, something like that. So, and even then, like, it was a, it was a risk. Like, what if it didn't resonate with the audiences? Then would this we wouldn't even have the MCU. Mm-hmm. But now that we know that it's kind of like, it's kind of like this, it's, I think it's like hit this um, kind of, for lack of a better word, this critical mass or critical velocity where they can make anything they want into a Marvel movie and it will still do well, even if it's subpar. Yeah. yeah. So that means any comic creator is now fully aware that anything they create will likely see some sort of alternative media recognition, which means right away, it's contract it's contract discussion time yeah yeah so I, I agree with you i i really wish not just for like combo creators but like all creators including a, any older contracts that were like kind of legally put into a weird zone when disney bought like various properties of the past 10 years such as like star wars properties including mm-hmm. where it's like these creators like have helped create fan bases and maintain a fan base for these properties. Yeah. And if you're going to still sell what they have created, even using, you know, the given universe, it's still their creative ideas. And you like, it just feels weird to not acknowledge it in a way that's simply just saying, well, we acknowledge it, but we own it. It's like, great, but you can't afford to give them what they really deserve to get for I don't know. It's like it's a weird concept. Like it's like, like fr- from a capitalistic perspective, I get that they own it; they can do what they want with it. But at the yeah. same time, it's just like give due credit. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, your, it's your universe, but it's not. These aren't your ideas. And they they, they make so much money that it it yeah. shouldn't hurt Disney to be nice to the people that generate their ideas. Like seriously, I think they could give like. Alan Dean Foster two million dollars and it'd be a drop in the bucket for Disney, mm-hmm, but it'd yeah. be like, but it would like, but it would be life changing for him. Yeah. yeah. Did they? Did you guys happen to catch if they included Brubaker or Epting in the credits anywhere? I didn't pay super close attention to the credits. Yeah. So I, no. I don't. I don't know. I'll you have mean, to check. You mean in the show or the or the movies? In the show for Falcon and Winter Soldier specifically. <sighs> You know, the funny thing is, I do watch the credits, but I wasn't usually, I think this time I wasn't paying as much attention, but I think, you know, I can check right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, by all means, check, but uh, while we're, while you do that, and while we wait for you to get back to us, I was going to say, um, I do think that another solution that they could try out is... Uh, seeing as how you know they knew that they were going to do the Falcon and Winter Soldier show, I don't see why they couldn't just you know hire Brew and Epting on as uh, consultants consultants for for the show, right? Yeah, like that that's t- that's totally a way to get around it, uh, yeah. so that they don't have to be in a position where they're uh, pigeonholed pigeonholed into paying back all these old creators. And, um, you know, if they really wanted to protect themselves from that, they could have hired Brubaker and Epting on uh, as consultants for the show. And they could have easily paid them, you know, a reasonable amount for good, honest hard work. 
You know? Totally, man. Totally. And I'm sure that Brubaker and Epting would have done their damnedest to produce the, the best story that they could have for the show. Yeah, so. absolutely, man. No doubt. I mean, even along the same lines, I feel like we got to acknowledge uh, somebody else like Rick Remender. And uh, I forget who designed the Sam Wilson Captain America suit. I think it was either Stuart Eminen or Carlos Pacheco. But yeah, but uh, I know like Rick Remender tweeted something when the show came out or when the last episode came out. And, you know, he, he felt pretty good about seeing seeing that suit on the screen, you know, like it yeah. was a, it was a pretty good it was a proud moment faithful yeah pretty faithful adaptation of something that he worked on yeah what about and to to go back even further i mean there's also the guy that created u.s agent (laughs) yeah like yeah i mean if you think about everybody who created all of these characters like all it goes back to what we were just saying about how it would be awesome if disney decided to compensate all of these creators in some way besides just having their name in the credits you know like yeah like you said man uh some of that money could be life-changing for for these guys but they're not really getting a whole bunch of the of the rewards yeah yeah it's it's unfortunate comics man comics will break your heart yeah shanis uh any any updates there uh yeah so ed Brubaker was credited on the series okay okay so there's that i think he was credited as, i think like some in some countries as like a writer even though he may not have actually written any of the episodes yeah i beg your pardon I, I think he was credited i think his credit is kind of associated with like writer credit even though he may not have actually been involved directly in the yeah. writing of the episodes yeah, I mean, I think. Oh, yeah, I see. It's it sounds like it's just probably a nod. Thing. Uh, yeah, it's like, a nod in the sense yeah. of it created by the Winter Soldier, created by Andrew yeah. Baker. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of that documentary that I watched a couple of weeks ago called Batman and Bill, where right it was the story of Bill Finger and just how how much of a struggle it was just to get his name put as a credit on these movies as, and as acknowledgement for his contribution to Batman. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous yeah. how difficult that was. Seriously, like the man was denied credibility or credit for like decades, and even now, it still technically doesn't say created by Bill Finger. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what does it say exactly again? It's like Bob Kane and created by Bob Kane and. Doesn't it say something like with special acknowledgement to to Bill Finger or something like that? I yeah. I don't remember. I don't have a Batman a recent Batman comic close at yeah, hand, so I neither do I. Have to look it up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, first and foremost, between the gutters is all about comics. So that's what that's what we care about the most, man. And so we care more about the people that made the comics than we care about the. The shows and the other products that are made from or the cold and heartless corporation that pumps them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you, man. Thank you for for finding the words for me. So, with that disclaimer out of the way, now we will talk about the TV series. 
So let me just start by asking you guys overall, what were your thoughts on it? Did you like the show in general? Do you want to go, Shanice, or I could throw in with my two cents to start? Oh, I can go first. It's fine. Uh, I overall really liked the show. I liked the general feel, the vibe, and the kind of the approach it took in its style of storytelling. Um, and Albert, I think before we started recording, you asked um, us, or maybe, maybe Drew asked, um, what jumped out at us. Of course, it's Batrock the Leaper. Heck yeah, yeah man. You gotta love Batrock. You leaped at us. Batrock! The Leaper! <laughs> the Leaper! Sacre bleu! Sacre bleu! Oui! You sound like a Cajun. <laughs> I guarantee. <laughs> I eat it up with some crawdads and some crocodile stew. <laughs> now that's definitely like Southern or Louisiana. I know that it just went all. It just I I, I went to a completely different region. So, <laughs> we're, we're waiting for you to do your 1920s gangster <laughs> voice, man. I'm not gonna mix them. <laughs> that was actually me, me pulling Leatherface from the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. <laughs> well done. <laughs> what about you, Albert? Overall, did you like the show? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought, uh, I thought the action was 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 a fun component. The I was from watching the commercials. I was I was into it originally uh from this from the get-go because i i was into the idea of a show that was going to be focused on um political intrigue mm-hmm. so this show felt like it had a lot of that uh yeah i mean that's that's one of the i guess genre of stories that i tend to glom glom onto when when I look at the the kind of comics that I do enjoy, or not even comics, sure. but just the kind of stories that I I I naturally gravitate towards, so I was into that. Um, I will say I I think some things worked for me better than others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but but we'll probably discuss that as as we get further. But uh, overall, I'd say it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah, man. I liked it a lot, too, for pretty much all of the reasons that both of you guys shared. I don't think it was necessarily a, a perfect TV series, but yeah. it was it's good enough where I don't really have any major complaints. You know, like I was able to yeah. just, just lose myself in the, the fantasy of it and, and enjoy it as a piece of entertainment that also gave me a couple things to consider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's. I mean, from from the uh, from the entertainment that we consume, I would like to think that most people. Uh, I'm not even gonna apply this to most people because I don't <laughs> respect most people. But because <laughs> you don't respect most people. Uh, certainly for myself, I I want to be able to walk away and like ponder what it is that I just uh consumed yeah and to be able to mull it over and develop thoughts and ideas based on what it is that i just uh watched you know certainly certainly 
that's that's where I get my additional money additional money's worth out of shows like these. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, man. Well, several episodes ago we did a preview episode for the series. So we talked about what we thought the series might be be about before it even came out. So let's revisit some of the silly predictions that we came up <laughs> with and and uh see if there was anything that came close to hitting the mark. So one of the things that we uh, predicted was that we thought it would have been disrespectful for Sam to give up the shield that Steve Rogers gave him. Yeah. But in the first episode, he gave up the shield that Steve (laughs) Rogers gave him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I Um, mean, to his credit, he gave it to the... Captain America Museum at the Smithsonian. Yeah. So I I guess that's understandable. Yeah. But that wasn't what we predicted at all. <laughs> yeah. And he had he had his own justifiable reasons for that, which was he really didn't feel like he was in a place to live up to all of the symbolism of the legacy. So mm-hmm. To some degree, I would under... I mean, I understand it. I don't know if if I'm still okay with the idea of him giving up the shield because, you know, the man personally still gave him the shield. Yeah. So, I don't know. Me it's being like, a, a, an almost real-life Charlie Brown, I, I, I guess I could see where he was coming from. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was understandable within the context of the overall story. Yeah. Another prediction we had, I guess this maybe this wasn't really a prediction. It was more like a pretty a pretty uh, far-fetched hope. But I think I had said that I wanted to see Batrock kick his way through prison to set Baron Zemo free. <laughs> and that definitely didn't happen. <laughs> that did not. That did not. Yeah. Um, it would have been fun, but I, I still enjoyed Baron, uh, not Baron, uh, Batrock for what he did do in the show. Yeah, um, totally. He, it felt, he, no, not it felt, he definitely had more screen time here than he did in uh, the Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier movie. Mm-hmm. Like, he even had more lines in this. So. Yeah. Yeah, he was he he felt like he was definitely part of their part of what was going on as opposed yeah. to just a throwaway character. That was a great use of Batrock. Yeah. You know, I think that's where I'll sort of disagree is that even though he got more screen time and more lines, his placement in the show was like on both like at the very beginning and at the very end of the show. Mhm. So, I didn't really get the feeling that he was really involved in the story as much as they just reused him as a character where they saw fit, which is, which is fine. But like, since we're assuming that people have watched the show, listening to this podcast, like it's unfortunate that his character's arc has now come to an end because I would like to see more with him. Yeah. yeah I, I would true. agree with yeah. you. Yeah. I wish he had stayed alive. Yeah. I mean, even before this version of him, I, I will say that I had some affection for Batrock the Leper. The Leper? <laughs> He's the Leper. I'm sticking to the accent. Batrock the Leper. Yeah. 
That Lee Pair. <laughs> like, as a kid, he was a character that I saw over and over again, and I had no idea what he did or what he could do. Like, the dude never even, um, he never even had his own card. But I would remember seeing him in, like, coloring books and stuff. <laughs> so, for whatever reason, in my mind, he was, he was, like, one of the only Captain America villains that I was aware of. It was him and Red Skull, and I was just like, I guess that's what Captain America does. He fights Red Skull, and he fights this guy. I didn't even know his name was Batrock until, like, way later. <laughs> until... Like, maybe my teens. <laughs> Do you think Batrock the Leaper could beat up Leapfrog? Uh, I do. I, oh. I, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that I, I, I believe that. I don't even know who Leapfrog is. I think he's a Daredevil villain who's got a mechanical frog suit that allows him to leap. Oh, I see, yeah. Heights. Then I wouldn't care who won. <laughs> Seamus doesn't have any respect for frogs or the French. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Because <laughs> they both start with F and R. Yeah, uh, they have that in common. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Seamus might not respect you if your name is Frederick. Or Frank. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or Francis. Yeah. Or Frankfurt. <sighs> Yeah, pretty much. Any other predictions, Drew? We also predicted that Zemo would be the mastermind behind the Flag Smashers, but it turned out he wasn't really the mastermind behind anything. Yeah. Well, I think towards the end, there was some indication that he was playing his own game of three-dimensional chess. He was making some moves of his own. Yeah. But I don't know if it was necessarily him pulling any actual strings well i'm i'm pretty confident that he wasn't pulling any actual strings that as it related to the flag smashers yeah. themselves like yeah, yeah exactly the, yeah. the yeah the hint i think they gave was that while he was out of prison he was able to set some pieces of motion to kind of complete his objective which is to make sure that there are no super powered people around yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah but he, I will he, say that, yeah, he wasn't aligned with the Flag Smashers whatsoever. Yeah, because I remember, I think you asked me, and I, my one of the thoughts that I had was that, you know, knowing nothing about what was going to be in the show, uh, like my presumption was that uh, Baron Zemo was going to use the Flag Smashers to... And, and their uh, populist rhetoric to, um, you know, achieve whatever his goals were, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he was going to stir the, stir up the pot and basically create like this army. like a demagogue? Yeah, exactly. But it ended up being quite the opposite of, if anything, Falcon and Winter Soldier break him out so that they can use him to track down the Flag Smashers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I was in the same boat. Like based on the trailers, I got the impression that somehow he was able to get out and like kind of help the flag smashers. But in hindsight, it made sense that he wasn't aligned with them just because his whole thing is like he doesn't want superpowered people around. He thinks that it, it causes problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, while he wasn't necessarily aligned with them, I think he 
he commiserated with their intent and their their plight. He just didn't agree with their philosophy of we need to be powered up ourselves to make a, to send a message, which is yeah. why I think that ending scene where that person says um, that with a tagline one people, one people, mm-hmm. one world, one people, one, or world. one world, one world, one people. Or is right. It- I, I think that was Bernzeal t- through him saying, I agree with what you're trying to do, but I still need to kill you because you're presenting a problem to, to the future of mankind. Actually, hmm. me and Drew talked about this. So, okay, Shayness. So that scene where the soul. So when all the other flag smashers were arrested, the remaining flag smashers were arrested. The mm-hmm. scene at the very end, after Falcon and Winter Soldier have defeated their group, um, you see that one soldier that's part of the the group that's arresting the flag smashers. Mm-hmm. As he's arresting them, he's he says their slogan to them, indicating that he is at the very least aligned morally with them correct right yep so when you saw that scene like me and drew talked about this though so when you saw that scene was it uh, were you under the impression that that guy that soldier that that said their slogan to them was working with um zemo I did because I think the scene right after that was cutting to Zemo kind of smiling and looking like like he's aware that right right he still, so he still okay. has his fingers in the outer world right so the so following that that moment where the soldier says uh, the slogan to the captives the the moment exactly immediately after that shows a man uh, this oh, Baron Zemo's butler setting off a bomb killing all the killing all the remainder remaining flag smashers in in the blast and then following that scene you see zemo in his prison cell satisfied with the results mm-hmm. so i was telling drew when i saw that scene i was under the impression that that soldier was working with evil jarvis to blow up <laughs> the flag smashers <laughs> but but drew you were telling me you had a different interpretation of that scene right uh what did i say i, I can't i don't remember you, we were texting what you're saying about makes it. sense now we, we were texting about it and you said that that soldier was just there to indicate to the rest of us that although the flag smashers have been defeated their ideology still lives on oh and that's true yeah even infiltrated the ranks that's right of the military but then the scene following right after that when Zemo blows uh remotely blows up the soldiers uh you yeah. were saying that that was unrelated to that scene with the soldier saying the slogan to the to the arrested flag smashers yeah i, I guess now that you've jarred my memory yeah there is i guess the way i saw it it could be uh kind of ambiguous in a sense uh i think i don't think it's anything too important but it did make me it was just a confusing little moment for me yeah because because like when it first when when that soldier first said the slogan i i think the expectation for the viewer is that oh this guy's gonna help them escape yeah then they don't escape they all die in a fiery explosion yeah so either that guy was trying was going to help them escape but zemo's butler blew them up before he could do anything or 
he was working with Zemo's butler and maybe he said that just to put those soldiers or put the flag smashers at ease so they would be totally unprepared to I don't know. Well, I don't know what they could have done I mean, even if I they had say, known. These are cuffed and they can't go anywhere. It's not like they like, yeah. make a difference. But I can see your perspective. Like I could see it as though the writers were trying to say there are supporters for their movement, but despite the support, Baron Zemo has too much influence and can still make calls from yeah. even within prison to mm-hmm. change the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was a third uh, additional outcome that me and you were discussing, Drew, which was mm-hmm. that they might have all been in on it in the sense that, well, I mean, my interpretation of it was that the soldier was indicating to them that, you know, you know, we're going to kill you right now, like, so that they don't take you alive, but your ideology lives on beyond you you know yeah that could be a that, possibility that also. was how i was interpreting it when i was watching it because like i, I suppose, said i was confused by it <laughs> yeah i suppose if, if we ever see flag smasher ideology return in a future marvel story then that interpretation would make sense mm. but if we if we don't see the return of the flag smashers I'd probably say your initial uh, interpretation is probably the simple one and correct one. Mm. All comes right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Speaking of the Flag Smashers, I think you already uh, briefly touched on it, but one of our other predictions was that we thought their goal was going to revolve around populism. Either that or yeah. we thought there was a chance that they could function as some kind of analogy for white nationalist groups or you yeah. know those, any other kind of racist hate group that's been getting more prominence these past several years. Yeah. But I guess they weren't really like that at all. Well, I still I, – here's the thing. I do still think that their goal was populist in nature mm-hmm. because – the way that they were portrayed, they were certainly more sympathetic than I was expecting them to be. And right. I think in large part, so in large part, what their goals were centered around was the fact that at the end of uh, Infinity War, when Thanos made the snap, people just uh, like uh, half the population disappeared for five years. And when Endgame begins... We're five years later, so naturally the world has changed significantly as people have readjusted to their new lives. And mm-hmm. by the time we get to the end of Endgame, they they do the blink where all of the people... The blip. The blip, sorry, not the blink. The blip where all of the, the, the 50% of the population that disappeared in the snap return. And, you know, it makes sense that that would lead to some chaos in terms of what the power dynamics of the new world is, uh, there's going to be a lot of movement around because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people who who disappeared now have new people who are living in their homes. So who mm-hmm. owns that property? The people that were rich who had all their goods taken away, they understandably want their resources back. They want their titles and their mm-hmm. uh, money back or whatever. So what 
what was the name of the bill that they were trying to uh, pass in the Senate? In I don't remember the name of the bill. I just yeah. remember the name of the organization was the GRC. I think it stood for the Global Repatriation Committee or Council right. or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So the, okay, so the general idea behind the bill, as far as I'm, my understanding was, is that there was millions of people that were displaced uh, as a result of uh, everything that happened. And they wanted to move those people so that, you know, again, the, the they could restore the power dynamics to the way it was, uh, to what they view as equitable prior to the snap. Mm-hmm. And understandably, the people that are being removed now don't want to be upended or removed, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it was still populist. Uh, like they were saying that you know, with with half the population gone, we finally, you know, our 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 stature in the world actually worked out for us. Thanos and was right. To some, yeah, to some <laughs> degree, <laughs> for them, right? So, so they were still populist in that sense. That's like true. they didn't want the the one percent to get their power or to to get back what they've had for the past five years right and from from my understanding of what was going on the grc actually was taking the people who had survived the snap and putting them into refugee camps or maybe even internment camps you know play just like storing them somewhere until they could move them to where they were uh quote unquote supposed to be yeah, and that was pretty much depicted as yeah an awful thing. Yeah, and once you get to the end of the show, like I do, I, I so going into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I, I we discussed how we thought it was going to be the the flag smashers were going to be some sort of stand-in for nationalists or. Um, you know what? Whatever populist movements have been uh, growing in recent years, and I think from my personal perspective, I, I I wanted to be I wanted to to just have this really black and white uh, view of that whole thing, but the show did. They made them sympathetic to some. To, they made them sympathetic is what they did, right? They they right. Like once you get to the end of the show. And um, Falcon's having that speech where where he's he's having a discussion with the members of the GRE, and he's basically saying, you know what, uh, we have to acknowledge that these people have like a place in the world too, and it's not supposed to be easy. We can't, yeah, we get it. The, the people that disappeared, they they have their resources too, but you know, the people that have these things now we can't just uproot them and the implication being that right now in order for society to move forward we have to do the hard work of actually discussing and working these issues out right it's not going to be this one-sided black and white solution of we're just going to beat up the flag smashers and that's it now now we're going to have the vote and we're going to be done with it and everything is back to normal Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I did think that that speech at the end with the Falcon was a pretty effective speech. Yeah, I like the speech too. It was inspirational. I'll say, for me, the 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 sentiments behind the speech were pretty powerful because, like, I think the show up to that point had built up Sam enough where that moment was definitely earned, and yeah. and you could believe the conviction that he had as he spoke in front of the cameras towards the senators or those politicians. Yeah. But the thing that I was that I considered afterwards after uh, I watched the show and I thought about it for a little while, like some of the things that he actually said, I don't know if I necessarily agree with them. And it's to be, to be fair for the other side, it's not like Sam really presented any solutions either. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that too. So in, in a way it's almost like the show is, giving us this chance to consider the idea of how you handle refugees or making us consider what is just yeah, and things of that nature, but it's not really presenting us with a solution either. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or if it's enough yeah. for a story just to cause you to think about it. Yeah. For me, I think I'm okay with just the show, the story telling us to think about it. It doesn't. I don't necessarily look to fiction to present me, you know, these really straightforward or clear-cut answers. Yeah. So I'm okay with the ambiguity of it. But yeah, I. I, like I yeah. Sorry, go, ahead. No, go ahead. I like it more because it was it left it ambiguous because I thought about this myself earlier today um, in the past week is that if they wrote Sam's speech so that he said this is a solution you should take. That would feel very Captain, very un-Captain America-like, because the whole idea of what Captain America resembles being a symbol of America is the, is the freedom of choice and the freedom of you have to do what you choose to do. And I think offering us a speech which just makes, which just allows us a, a moment of introspection of mm-hmm. what does it mean to make a decision that will affect the lives of millions of people. Yeah. And does one just take it lightly just because one has a, a preset agenda or a preset notion? Or should one really just take a step outside of themselves and really ponder what will be the consequences and at least just consider them? It doesn't mean that you want to change one's mind, but at least be informed by that ramific, by the acknowledgement of what will be ha- of what will happen. Yeah. It's, very it's all about having it's all about having empathy. Right. So I'm very glad he didn't make a definitive statement like you should do this, because that's more of like a John Walker kind of thing to do. I was going to say, who is he? Zack Snyder's Superman? <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say the one issue I had with Sam's speech was his a little bit overemphasis on the what I call name-calling. Because while he's right that when we just do the simple thing of labeling somebody something and kind of dehumanizing them by a label, then it allows us, it gives us permission to not think about how they feel or what will happen with them. That being said, though, the flag specials, despite their um, their memorable goals, the means about which they took get to get there were absolutely deplorable. Like they were by definition terrorists. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that the that doesn't mean that what they're trying to 
get at isn't worth thinking, but they were definitely terrorists. And I think yeah. calling them terrorists is not an issue for me. They were definitely terrorists and they needed to be put down. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. That was that was one of the things that I didn't necessarily I didn't I'll say agree that, with. Um to your point. Huh? I was I was saying that that was something I also did not agree with in his speech. Because when you think about what the flag smashers were doing, they had a political agenda and they were just trying to kill people to make their point. You know, like, like logically speaking, even if they succeeded in killing their hostages, those uh, politicians uh, who were going to vote on the GRC issue, that doesn't really mean that things won't move forward, you know, like. There yeah. would be other politicians who would probably then be hardened even further. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, in in a from a certain point of view, it's almost like their their ways of going about their mission was kind of I don't know almost childish. It's it's kind of like when we were talking about Invincible last week and that one kid turned into a giant monster and he thought if he destroyed everything the only way he would they could get him to stop destroying stuff is if they made him the president of the united states you <laughs> yeah. know but that's not really how that's not really how change happens yeah well but unfortunately like if you just take a look around you like if if people thought logically we wouldn't have terrorists <laughs> that is true that is yeah. true but see you you did call them terrorists though you labeled yeah. them albert well, I never said that I was some sort of pillar of like uh, <laughs> enlightenment, you know. Like when when uh, Shanus was gonna say something earlier about something that I had said uh, prior to starting recording, there was a second in my mind where I flinched and I was like, "Did I say something racist that I had forgotten about?" <laughs> so, I mean, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes you gotta gut check yourself you never know may you know maybe one slipped True. i don't know so i i definitely understood what i think they're trying to get across by the whole um label aspect which is yes they were terrorists but there's still nuances of saying just because they're terrorists doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about what motivated them to become this way doesn't mm -hmm. just if i excuse them yeah but they're representing a group of people who have no voice and maybe those people don't necessarily maybe the majority of them don't really want the flag specialists to be the representatives of of what they want yeah but, but nonetheless there's a tether between the flag specialists and and the people they're they're purporting to to support and trying to help yeah so it's like yeah. it, so it's definitely a it's so the criticism of if you just fixate on one label and reduce people in such a way then nothing gets accomplished because then you miss all the nuance of of how complex people can really be, how complicated life actually is. Yeah. And I think that strikes me as, as being ignorant and irrational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier um, was to your point earlier, Drew, where you talked about how uh, Falcon didn't actually have any solutions or didn't offer any solutions. There was something about that that I was... I guess conflicted by just in my reflection mm -hmm. of of that entire scene where like I like I did enjoy the speech 
but I was also fully aware of the fact that he didn't have a solution. And I'm also aware of the fact that I don't expect, you know, a show like this to provide solutions. Yeah. But there was a part of me, the cynical part of me that was thinking about that scene where I was like, it could just be one of those scenes where the only thing they can do is say something as simple as we have to make friends with the people we disagree with and we have to think about it. And that's the most that we can do because they don't do the, they don't want to take, make the hard decision of actually making a, a a firm Mm -hmm. statement about what should be done. Right. Right. So, and that isn't to say that I would want to change the ending, but it was something that, I was mulling over as I was watching that scene, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I I agree with you there. One of the things that he did say that I enjoyed was when he said, the only power that I have is that I believe that we can do better or something to that effect, right? Like he said something like that. And, you know, that's pretty much the heart of what he was saying in his speech. Like that's the, the main idea of his speech. So it, it makes sense. It makes sense. It, it's it's something that if I watched the show again, I'd probably pay extra special attention to the speech, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because I only, I only watched it the one time. Yeah. There was a lot going on in that speech, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a surprisingly long monologue for an action series, you know? Yeah. Like you don't typically... It's... It's pretty rare for a scene like that in a Marvel flick. I don't I can't really think of anything too similar to that. Like even in the other Captain America flicks when when Cap was given his speeches, they weren't that long, you know? Yeah. They yeah. were just like these short inspirational kind of rallying moments. Yeah. But yeah, Sam's speech was particularly substantial in I terms of length. S- yeah, I will say that like I'm not gonna like fully attribute it to the times, but clearly a lot's happened since since some of those earlier movies. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if the screenwriters uh, or the scriptwriters felt that you know there was certain things in our times that they wanted to address. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily as like a social cause or whatever, but just as an acknowledgement of the reality era we live in. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reality of, of the times. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wrapping up uh, some of our predictions, here are some that were kind of closer to the mark. In that old episode we did, I, I also said that I thought the U.S. government might have busted out Zemo to use his mind to stop the Flag Smashers. And even though it wasn't the government, in actuality, Bucky was the one who helped him break out. Yeah. I guess that was, a, you know, kind of similar to what was close enough. I said. Yeah. Yeah. So we we seeing Zemo in this series, it it does kind of give me some hope that we will see him again and perhaps at some point see some kind of variation of the Thunderbolts program. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm I'm hopeful about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot there. Uh, I I feel like there's like an entire podcast we could do on that too. But <laughs> totally, like Zemo is a character that I have a lot of uh, a lot of affection for. He's, yeah, he's, he's definitely he's one of cool my villain. favorites. Yeah, and uh, three other predictions that were right on the money. These these were all like easy ones, so it's no surprise that at least we got that much right. But we predicted that we were pretty adamant in saying that John Walker would be a jerk. Yeah, well, I I mean I think I was expecting him to be a bigger jerk than he actually was because <laughs> in those early scenes he he seemed like a pretty earnest dude. Like he wasn't like a super jingoistic dude. I mean he was. He was a soldier who believed in his country, and he just wanted to to do good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, eventually, dude went nuts. So <laughs> there we go. I I think part of me was expecting him to be that kind of a jerk from the get go, you know. But they, I did appreciate that they showed his. Uh, they humanized him for you. They human well, they humanized him, but they also showed his progression to getting to that point. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 We also predicted that Sam Wilson would become Captain America. So that yeah. was that was correct. And we also predicted that the show would not introduce the X-Men. It would not be Magneto all along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you hear that? Second geniuses. I also wanted to touch on the different character arcs. We we spoke a little bit about the Flag Smashers, but was there anything that you wanted to say about Carly in particular, like in terms of her arc or what they did with her in the story? Uh, I personally found her annoying. <clears throat> yeah, I was I was going to say something to a similar effect. Like, I don't think I had any problems with her specifically, but the Flag Smashers as a whole, uh, like, I I really, I think that part of the story probably had the least amount of uh, impact on me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I was kind of, I think my emotions were ratcheted up to, like, 11 going into it, because I was, like, just ready to hate these people, because I I thought it was just going to be, you know. Yeah. They were love they were hating just, stuff. Exactly. Like, you know, I I hate my my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um yeah, I, I was going into it expecting to just outright you know, just have this like very black and white uh villain that I could hate on, which was kind of funny because we talked about this in WandaVision, or I don't know, maybe I, I was thinking about it. I don't remember if we actually talked about it, but um, the thing about WandaVision at the end was they gave us a villain to make it, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. clear that mm-hmm. this Agatha Harkness is the villain. So, you know, she's someone yep. you can hate. And mm-hmm. that was probably one of the weaker elements of that show. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm just wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> Shanice, why did you find Carly annoying? 
she just sounded like, like she just really came off like as an impetuous, impetuous, uh, uh, I can't stand words today, like a petulant child. Like, she, for the complexity of the issue she was trying to address, she took a rather simple minded approach to things. Like, if I smash things and kill people, problem, problem solved. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. And Sam, through the patient grace of who he is in this universe, still trying to talk her down. Mm-hmm. And the idea that was unfathomable to her that killing people, even if they were soldiers doing their jobs, who probably didn't want to you know, hurt people, because, we, again, we don't have any context for what the soldiers were thinking. They're just doing their job. Yeah. How does it accomplish anything really at the end of the day? Right. And just, and I think it was in the fourth, I think it was the fourth episode when her and Sam were talking and I'm saying like, like this is, a, this is an opportunity for you to really reflect on what you're doing. And she kind of just dismisses that on the a notion of like, Oh, you betrayed me because John Walker took a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. She just really came off like a very immature child who just wanted to throw temper tantrums. Well, they did mention at the end when uh, Falcon was giving the speech that what was that line where he was saying that I forget what it was exactly, but he said something to the effect of we have to like compromise, whether it be with a like a government or like a disgruntled teenager. Yeah, so she is a kid. She is a kid, and he did say that the rest of the line was something to the effect of, and if you don't learn to listen to the disgruntled teenager, you don't want to see what Carly 2.0 looks like. Mm-hmm. So so maybe in her petulance, they she 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 gave off what they intended her to give off. Yeah. So that's fair. That's food fair. for thought. What about uh let's let's go down the list of the major characters, man. What about Sam and Bucky? What are your thoughts on their stories, their arcs? So I do think that this is interesting and uh full disclosure, I, I haven't read the the Falcon Captain America era of comics. So I there's something about this show that I feel and I I kind of begrudgingly want to to admit this but I I feel like a lot of this show was catered to a lot of the hate that Falcon got as Captain America in the comics mm-hmm. um a lot of people saying things uh, you're talking about the fanboys the fanboys exactly mm-hmm. and and you know, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm projecting, you know, feel free to call me out on it. But uh, so when Falcon in the comics was introduced to become the next Captain America, there were a lot of people that uh, really hated the idea of it, along with everything else that, you know, supposedly was going on at Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. But they were there was this sense that Falcon didn't earn it and he wasn't Captain America. Like, even the other day, I saw a YouTube video with a picture of, um, you know, Falcon, Falcap, and uh, <laughs> someone was saying that 
this is he's not my Captain America. Stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I feel like the show starts off in a place where Falcon doesn't feel like he wants to be Captain America or like he doesn't feel like he can live up to Captain America and that's why he gives him the shield. And I feel what when I said that this show was written in a way to cater to what happened when the when the comic came out, what I mean is what they did was for the show was they made it a point to show Sam go through this progression where he eventually gets to this place where he finds it in himself to to take on the mantle of Captain America mm-hmm. right where mm-hmm. where he's earned it whereas in the when the comics came out and I don't I'm not going to say that this necessarily applied to Sam because they were I felt like a lot of the the haters were just saying a lot of the same thing for a lot of different characters but mm-hmm. one of the things that they were saying was like oh you know these people are Mary Sue's there's you know so Sam hasn't earned being Captain America they just gave it to him you know because uh you know he's he's a minority or something like that right right and right so i felt like the show made it a point to again show Sam not wanting to be Captain America and even acknowledging that the legacy of Captain America was too big for him to fill. And we followed him on his journey right up to the very end when he decides that, you know what, Steve Rogers gave me the mantle. And, you know, even though I'm just a regular guy with, you know, a wingsuit, that that line that you mentioned earlier, like the only power that he has is just he knows we can do better, mm-hmm. you know. And like mm-hmm. even that speech and at the end, there were parts of that speech that I felt spoke to the the issues that were going on when again when Falcon was introduced as Captain America in the comics. Yeah, I do like how you how you made the remark about. I mean, I didn't read people's commentaries about that's not my Captain America, but I'm not surprised. There were a lot of dickheads out there. Oh, oh, I believe it. You know, <laughs> uh, that that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. But the whole the phrase of they just gave him the Captain America title. I'm like, no, there was a whole sequence about him training to become Captain America. Like, and aside from that, the lead up, like the lead up up to that point where he doubted himself. He didn't really want that mantle. Yeah, he wanted to just honor Steve Rogers as Captain America and leave it at that. Yeah. But the, the the at the end of the day, once you have that symbol, that symbol exists, which means somebody's going to be carrying it, and the and the, he had to make and you kind of have a choice to make. Do you let it be in the hands of someone like John Walker or the government? And the government doesn't always have the best interest of the people, which is what it's trying to represent through the symbol. Or do you say, well, I have fought side by side with Captain America. I have fought for the country and I kind of take this responsibility seriously enough that it's not just about having the power of the symbol, but about I'm saying that the symbol, because it's powerful, needs to be handled with care. Yeah. Right. And 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 it's completely fine to say he's not your Captain America. He's he's not your Captain America. He's Falk Captain America now. He's <laughs> Yeah. He's a combination of both things. That's a good point. That's a good point. 
and it's like and it's it's like saying like when Dick Grayson took on the mental of Batman, he wasn't he wasn't my Batman. It's like he's just a different Batman. It's fine. Yeah. Like nobody's saying that that Steve Rogers isn't Captain America. It's just that in this current universe, he is no longer acting at Captain America. Yeah. Like I I don't think anybody would see him and not call him Cap still. Yeah. And I'd mm-hmm. I'd even clarify that in the comics, like even though I didn't read those comics, I'm one, Sam Wilson as Falcon has a long history of working with Captain America. He's got a long history of being his own hero in those comics. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's just a dude that like walked in off the street and Cap was like, Hey, can you hold this for a second? And then he was <laughs> he runs off and he's like, I'm Captain America now. Yeah, he's he's no Roy Skywalker who just has a lightsaber in hand one time and knows how to duel. Yeah. Like so you know, even even when people were saying things about Sam Wilson as Captain America when the comics were coming out, I found those arguments pretty pretty weak. Yeah, yeah. And from the point of view of the within the universe of the comics, there wasn't it wasn't really anything where like the people of the Marvel universe didn't accept Sam Wilson as Captain America, you know, like they, I I mean, there were definitely some people in their universe that didn't, but he was still, they still called him the people's cap, you know, like he was still beloved by a lot of people in the comics. It's just that the readers were the ones that had a problem with, with it, you know, like it was during that whole period when, when, uh, when Sam Wilson was Captain America, we had the Jane Foster Thor. We had, Riri I don't know, Williams like Miles Morales. We had who? Riri Williams. Riri Williams as Ironheart. You know, people were, were just mad because they thought Marvel was being super SJW or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like it's, That's not to say that they aren't at times, but like if those stories make sense and the characters get evolved in a way that makes you believe in them, then let it be. That's yeah. yeah, that's exactly the thing because I I have a feeling that a lot of those people who were, you know, being loud jerks on Twitter and stuff, I'm skeptical that all of them were actual comic book fans. I'm pretty sure a lot of them were just people that wanted to get mad at uh SJWs and or just people with progressive or liberal views. Anyway, did you guys have any final thoughts on Sam's story arc? Yeah, uh, I liked the personal touches they gave to his arc. Like, the fact that they explored more of his personal life, uh, seeing his interaction with the sister, and kind of just seeing, like, even from the opening um, view, you know, him being, a you know, a black American, like, he comes there saying, like, look, I'm, like, he's got this bravado and confidence, like, I'm, I'm the Falcon, like, they won't say no to me, and yet they do. And it's... It, and. Just like, to clarify, you're talking about the scene where they go to the bank and he tries to get a loan to save. Correct. His yes. Yeah. And like he was, he was kind of like flabbergasted. He was floored because he had no sense or notion of like how hard real life really is. Because and I think that was kind of like the funny point is like he's just been a superhero for the past many years, and he was blipped away, and he like it's just like he really did have no notion of what it's like to live yeah. like a normal regular life where he's to work from day to day and not mm-hmm. just travel the world. You know punching things 
Yeah. He mm-hmm. didn't realize that when he wasn't superheroing, apparently he was running a failing business. <laughs> <laughs> like, was it him or his, I think his sister was, it was his sister, business, right? But, you know, I, you know, it's a family business. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had but, I, his... but, I, but I did like, I definitely like seeing it also just because of the, the way it gave contrast to seeing how he had his family. He had his like this background support looking at Bucky and like how he coped with his flashbacks who he had around him. Yeah. And then comparing yeah. it to Carly who like, who I believe the implication was that she had no more actual direct, you know, bloodline family. And so she kind of formed her own family through these flag smashers, people who like shared her image or goals of giving these um, people who got blipped back, you know, a place, a, a home, a place to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of interesting when you consider how many of these characters in this series we were privy to seeing their personal lives or their quote-unquote families, whether it was like their literal family or just the people that they, you know, were closely aligned with. Because even, like you said, Carly had her flag smashers. Um, even John Walker had his wife. That was his wife, right? Or girlfriend? I forget. That was his wife. Wife. Oh, okay. Well, he also had his... his, He had um, his buddy. His buddy. He had served for a year. His partner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, Carly, even though we don't see it, she also had her her big influence was this person called Donia, who we go go to her funeral or wake. So we never see her alive, but but she clearly did have important figures. She's the one that shaped her. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it's cool to see how the show was able to spend time in the characters' lives outside of costume. Yeah. Like especially with with Sam and Bucky, even even with John Walker, heck, even to some degree Zemo. Like just seeing seeing all of them, <laughs> you know, like yeah. dancing was Zemo was pretty hilarious. I I love that scene where. They they go to Zemo's base of operations and they're just like, man, you you had all this luxury, and he's like, I'm actually a baron. Yeah, which, which was a nice little <laughs> wink and a nod. But totally, man. That, I, that was, I, the, I really just enjoyed Zemo's character in this series. Like, me too, man. They did a lot of great stuff with him. Like, like I would say he's my favorite character of the whole series, honestly. Nice. I could see that. I could see that. What I will say now that I think about it is, aside from the the background family, what I realized you can like compare between you know John Walker, uh, Sam, and Carly is their their external voice of reason, right? Like mm-hmm. Sam had in some sense in the back of his mind like the the voice of Captain America, but he also had Bucky beside him. Yeah, and it's not just how they're partners or main compatriots interacted with them but also how they interpreted their advice and help like sam still stood fast in like i'm not gonna i don't really want to kill anybody this is not my job here to kill just here to to prevent people from dying Mm -hmm. then you had um um john walker whose teammate or partner lamar all of the Mars comments were completely fine. They were supportive and and like and kind of and like bolstering, you know, John Walker, kind of showing showcasing that, yeah, as a soldier, he had to do some really terrible things that he may not have liked, but it was all in service of this country. Mm-hmm. But the way John Walker interpreted those statements, it, um, emboldened him to do really stupid things, 
And then you had Carly, and I would say her main compatriot was the long-haired, I think, Asian guy. So every time she would like like mention like we have to kill people or whatever, else, he always got this. He, he he always had this look like, like he looked he, uncomfortable. He yeah. thought, he didn't. He that's not what he wanted. But he but he he would ask a question, but then he would drop it and be like, okay, well we're just doing what we're gonna do. We're gonna do yeah. what you say. Exactly. And so it was funny to see how their different main partners interacted with them, and as well as how they took their advice and their comments, like how they responded to it, it was an interesting contrast. Yeah, that's a good point. There was some stuff uh, in the early episodes, um, just going back to Sam and Bucky, that I, th- I thought was interesting too, especially the first episode when we w- before they even meet, and we have scenes of Sam on his own doing his thing and Bucky on his own doing his thing, because mm-hmm. from what I remember in the in terms of the direction of the episode, it felt like the scenes with Sam, they there were a lot of scenes where the shots were were wide shots and and you know granted part of that was because he was in aerial combat but even the scenes when when he was uh you know meeting his sister and stuff like there were a lot of wide shots of him of them being in the street crossing the intersection um and just walking around things like that whereas with with Bucky he had so many scenes where the the camera just shot it like claustrophobically close to his face you know like just you didn't really see the whole picture of him you just saw saw his his brows and or his brow and his eyes and it, it was almost in a sense trying to convey this idea of of uh i guess feeling trapped you know like there's just this real sense of yeah claustrophobia discomfort being him being who he is and and having those nightmares it that was an interesting um storytelling method it's kind of kind of a, a something that i guess makes sense in in television or film you know these visual mediums so maybe maybe you'd play off a little bit different in in a comic book but seeing it on the show i thought was a good way to to you know use the medium of film or television to enhance the emotions in the characters stories right yeah, you know, I didn't notice it until you just mentioned it, but like that's a really good observation. Although I, I feel like this is something you could still do in comic book format because you could have a wide panel and yeah. you have a very narrow, like focused panels. Absolutely, that's that's very true. You could you could do it in a comic. It would, I guess, maybe it would just feel different because the lack of motion. I don't know that 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 might make a difference in how we process things, but. I don't know. I was just thinking specifically of the scene when Bucky is talking to his uh, therapist or psychologist. What do you call it? Yeah, therapist. I think. Yeah, therapist. Works. Yeah. Yeah, like those scenes when he was talking to her, I was like, dude, why is why is the camera so close to his face? That's that's uncomfortable, man. But then I started thinking, <laughs> oh, well, he's got a pretty uncomfortable state of mind, so it yeah. makes sense. And he's probably uncomfortable. They're talking about his internal thoughts and feelings because that's he grew up in the '40s, where that's not what you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know if they had therapists back then. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I didn't even know if they had feelings in the '40s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, feelings they're, they're are a pretty modern today. invention. <laughs> <laughs> they came into vogue back in the '90s. <laughs> <laughs> But now people are super feely these days. Yeah, that is true, man. It, it's a totally different era. Some of the things I, I liked 
with with Bucky was how they made him it just feel felt like he was so uncomfortable with the way he was yeah. and the way his life was at the beginning of the story yeah. like the way that they showed him in his apartment or wherever he was living it was like a barren place man like there was it was almost like dude what does this dude do to pass the time he's got nothing in his house besides a tv and a bed and I th- wait was he sleeping on the floor i don't even remember if he had a bed he just had a mattress a mattress yeah. yeah which is sort of funny that you're uh that you have like these judgments on it because i sleep on a mattress <laughs> <laughs> That's what I used to do, actually, too. Hey, I, I'm, I looking too. My, I'm looking at my mattress right called. now. Like, I don't have a box spring or anything, and I'm just like, dang, is my life that sad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it is. It is. It definitely is. You have all this other stuff in your house. That but, is house. But I do like him mentioning that, because like, that is a very, like... He's practical. Well, that's practical. I think it was indicating the fact that he he like had like like Steve Rogers. He's also a man out of time. Mm-hmm. He's been frozen and thawed out on occasion to do these things, but he's never really had full control of his own mind. So he's only like in the past few years in this cinematic universe had any sense of um, self operation. And he's a person who also has probably no living members of family. He doesn't be he doesn't belong there. So like his sense of belonging, it's it, he why would he have anything to fix it him in no any one place? He doesn't really belong anywhere. So true, all he needs yeah. is, a, is a place to sleep and just kind of take his mind away from things. That's what the TV is probably there for. Yeah. What what shows do you think Bucky likes to watch? Probably Albert, reruns. The other thing I was going to say was... Oh, what were you going to say, Albert? Uh, I was going to say the other thing that I was going to mention was that uh, what you had mentioned earlier about how, um, you know... The the show gives us the the time to to look introspectively or to, to get a closer look at Sam's personal life outside of his uh you know Superhero. his superheroing. The the I think the same applies to Bucky as well because uh, when we see him in the movies we see him as the Winter Soldier and then he goes through his deprogramming phase in Wakanda and then we see him uh you know he's you just know, fighting, fighting Thanos, Thanos. legions. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much just the the arc that we see him uh, as we as we follow him, just bam, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in this series, we finally really get to see almost yeah, we get to see what his life looks like in his downtime, and we see that all the stuff that he had went through, it still haunts him, it still troubles him, and at the beginning of the series. He's haunted by these nightmares of these missions that he pulls off when when he was still programmed as the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And his personal goal in life uh, at the start of the series is to make amends yeah. by approaching all of the people that he's he's wronged. He's got this list of people in this notebook of uh, people that he's wronged uh, either directly or in, I imagine indirectly uh, as the winter soldier and mm-hmm. he he's you know he's admitting to his guilt and apologizing for it that's and that's his mission at the beginning of of the series which right. is you know a, a 
a look into his headspace and his life outside of superheroing. Yeah, I was also going to say that uh, there was that scene, I think, in episode five when Sam and Bucky are throwing the shield around in the woods. Yeah. When when they have that conversation, um, I mean, Sam basically figures out what Bucky's deal is. And I think he's I forget exactly how he worded it or phrased it, but he said something to Bucky to explain that what Bucky was doing wasn't really going to stop the nightmares because he wasn't because what he actually needed to do was to apologize to the people that he wronged because up to that point Bucky hadn't really technically been apologizing to people like we saw him with uh RJ Nakajima in the in the first episode um because he killed his son when he was the winter soldier back you know many years ago yeah but he he never told Nakajima that he did that. He befriended him. He just, just befriended him. him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, technically, an apology requires saying apologizing. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it requires an apology. <laughs> Not if you're me. <laughs> I'm going to give you what might be tantamount to an apology. But at no point will I actually utter an apology. <laughs> I, I apologize if I have offended anybody. <laughs> I apologize conceptually. <laughs> I did want to bring up uh, the conclusion of Bucky's story, though, too. Because speaking about apologies and what he... His, his whole relationship with Nakajima when he goes to the to his house at the very in the very last episode you see him they we see them begin to have a conversation but we never actually really see a full conversation yeah and I thought that was a little bit unsatisfying because at least with Sam he and Isaiah Bradley had a full conversation you know yeah they had a real scene that had depth to it. Whereas with Bucky and Nakajima, I thought that could have been his equivalent moment, you know, like they could have had a scene together where they really, where we as the viewer were able to see what was said and kind get of experience. Closure. Yeah. Experience his reaction, Bucky's reaction and get closure for, for his arc. Yeah. But instead we kind of have point. to use our imaginations. That is a good point because now that you think about it, like Sam really got far more focus in this story than Bucky really did. Yeah, so especially almost, that last like, episode. Yeah, it almost feels like the title of the series should have been should not have been the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but the Falcon with the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did get second billing, so <laughs> that's true. It wasn't the Winter Soldier and the Falcon. <laughs> but yeah. I, but I agree. I would have liked to see Bucky really get more treatment in like his development in his arc, like actually seeing him have more deep ended conversations with the people who he's affected in his life mm -hmm. to really see him like go through these changes the way Sam does in realizing that he really is, despite what he may feel, he is deserving of the mantle of Captain America. And right now he should be the one carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
it it was also good to see in that conversation that they had in the woods, Sam and Bucky, that Bucky acknowledged um or he well he apologized to Sam for the situation Sam was in in regards to the shield and and the yeah. mantle of Captain America. And I, I thought that was a really strong emotional moment to their story. Yeah, it was actually kind of cool. Like, I like that. Yeah, because it was like two all-American boys just throwing a football back and forth with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what superheroes don't need to throw footballs because that's mundane. They throw around Captain America's <laughs> shield. Dude, a vibranium shield. That's the way to do it. It's it's amazing how those padded mats were able to protect those trees. <laughs> <laughs> every every villain who goes up against Captain America now should wear those a mats on his body. <laughs> You'll be in, invincible. He won't be able to do anything. That's <laughs> Captain just, America's or, kryptonite. Yeah. Or just in case, they should wear padded mats around like some thickness of tree bark. Just in case it's also the tree bark that helps too. Yeah. yeah. It, it apparently uh, rejects the vibrations or the kinetic force. <laughs> or you know what else you could do? You could just throw a chair at the shield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The things a shield can or cannot do when he needed to. Yeah. 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 It it can absorb so much vi- vibration or vibrations and impact that you can jump off, you know, uh, several stories and land on the shield and be okay because the shield will absorb the impact. But if you throw the shield and somebody throws a chair at it, it's going to knock it off course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, apparently didn't, I mean, Thanos beat the crap out of the shield. That is I think true. They ended up breaking it, though, right? Yeah, but according to the movie's logic, Thanos beat up Hulk, so he's pretty dang strong. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Thanos is stronger than Tree. Right, but it's like, <laughs> but if it's marginally, if vibranium is built to absorb all impact of vibrations, and it doesn't matter what you throw at it, it can absorb it. You are the mathematician and scientist, Shanus, so I must defer to your knowledge. Well, I mean, I'm okay with, with it being breakable because every every material has its natural frequency. So it's got to be at some point at which if you hit it the right way, you can, in fact, shatter it and break it. Did you know that one of Thanos' powers is that his fist can be tuning forks? That's not one of his powers. Okay. <laughs> Hang I on. Like let that. me update the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> <laughs> It was also cool to see the Wakandans in the mix when uh, they after they broke out Zemo. It it makes sense, man. It was cool that they had Ayo come in and the other Doras come in, and uh, yeah, it it just made sense in terms of the internal continuity of the whole MCU. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was I was a big fan of like the care they gave into like. Out, like this is these are the two things I like between the WandaVision and and the Falcon Lunar Soldier is it's it seemed like the writers really sat down and, and like every time they propose an idea they ask the question okay will this make sense why would this be a thing that will happen and what will be the ramifications who else would be affected by this that we might need to put in here mm-hmm. it, just, it just gave the impression that they really had thought out about what would come before and what will be the consequences and how this would intertwine and it's and it's and I like it too, just because like that thought process allows them to make that larger MCU get more intertwined. So it's not really yeah. a hard thing. Yeah, it 
it gives it that sense of having a shared universe, mm-hmm. which is something you pretty much always take for granted in the comics. Yeah. But not all of the shows or movies do it all the time. Like, was there, let me ask you this. During the final battle at, uh, in New York in the last episode, did you wonder at any point where was War Machine? I did not. You know, sort of, but not in that last episode. Because I was like, because they, 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 they give us Rhodes in the first episode, right? Yeah, Rhodes in the talking first episode. To, to Sam asking, like, is this really what you want to be doing? And then he never shows up again, but like, but like, if you have him in the first episode and he has this um, relationship with Sam in terms of they seem to be buddy buddy, you would think that he might show up and check in our, our system, you know, when he really needs him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they could have used his help in that last battle. You know, things could have been a lot less damaged, more people could have been saved. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Falcon wouldn't have had to burn out his wings uh, lifting the truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. With stuff like that, I, I often just kind of... I, I guess I don't ever... I don't try to overcomplicate my situation when I'm watching these shows. So so it's just like, uh, he might have been doing his taxes or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure War Machine was out getting a smoothie so he wasn't able to help them when they needed him the most he's just chilling at home watching tv seeing how yeah. sam's got it under control he's setting his fantasy football uh his status yeah. <laughs> yeah i had a conversation with a friend like uh about about something similar and my friend was asking about all the various movies and she was just like so where were all these other characters when all this was happening? And I don't know. It was a frustrating conversation to have because I was just like, look, you just have to assume that each character just has their own life and that they're own, doing their own thing at that particular point in time. So, you know, yes, Thor or Iron Man could have very easily showed up and, uh, you know, taken care of the vulture in, <laughs> in, in, in uh, homecoming but you know what we just have to assume that they were busy okay <laughs> well, it was like asking the question like where are the new york where are the new york city firemen when there are fires in san francisco well they're in new york doing their exactly. job like yeah. i i actually had to like get to a point where i was like look there has to be a certain level of object permanence that <laughs> occurs when you watch these shows you just have to presume that other people's lives are going on Outside of what you're seeing, <laughs> right? Yeah, That's a good point. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand why that should be a conversation. It's like, how's this not exactly, obvious? exactly? <laughs> I don't understand why I have to explain this to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> see, the only reason I asked that question was because I wanted to hear Albert rant. Well, see, Albert, what you should do is not explain to them their answer, but explain to them how they should think to be regarded as a as a human being. Yeah. I mean, if I close this door, I don't cease to exist to you. <laughs> That's just not how this works. <laughs> just because you don't see me doesn't mean I'm not real. Oh, That's man. what I've told every girl I've ever talked to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
someday they'll see us. <laughs> I mean, really see us. <laughs> but but in a friendly way, not like a creepy way. And without a microscope. I was fine with creepy way. Oh, okay. <laughs> at least I'm looking at you, right? I will take any kind of affirmation. <laughs> Did you have any final thoughts on Bucky's story? No, I, I, I'm pretty satisfied with everything that we've said on Bucky. You, Shanus? Um, no, I, I think I'm, I'm good with, with Bucky. Like, just I wish there was, I wish there was more of his personal development, like I said earlier. Yeah. But at the very least, I, I like how they ended his story the way they kind of began, which is him trying to reconcile with, um, I don't, I don't know the character's name, but like the father of the. Yeah. Nakajima. Yeah. 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 That was, that was good. What did you guys think about John Walker's character? I actually liked it. I liked the I, way they handled his character. Yeah, I I'd have to agree. He next to Zemo and uh, Falcon and uh, Bucky, like I liked him quite a bit actually. You know, uh, I thought his storyline was actually one of the more uh, interesting stories to me. Uh, and it, yeah, and it was well balanced considering, despite he got screen time, like the little screen time and development he, we focus we got on him what we did get was just enough to bridge together a story for him. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wasn't, he, he definitely wasn't the star of this thing, but you're totally right. Shanus. Like what we did get was more than enough to give us a sense of who the dude was and what he was about. Um, I will say one, uh, Wyatt Russell. I, 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 Kurt Russell's kid. I uh I dig him. Oh, man. that explains why his face looks so, so familiar. Yeah, there was some. <laughs> I remember hearing from somebody uh, that that was Kurt Russell's kid, and then when I was watching, there are certain angles where I was like, "Oh, dude, he looks like Kurt Russell." And then yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He kicked yeah, in, the, and the, I was like, the, "Oh, the, dude, he's Kurt Russell's kid." Yeah, when you yeah. told me that he was his son, I was like, "Dude, that makes so much sense now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will say that <clears throat> his the entire arc of his story of him going crazy or or like not being insecure about the fact that he he was one trying to live up to captain america and two uh he was trying to live up to the legacy of captain america the title of captain america and two he was also trying to live up to the fact that he he now exists in a world of super soldiers and he's just a regular dude i mean by regular dude standards, he was still this like hero, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a war hero. And I just thought he was really interesting, you know, because he talked. There's even though he's this guy living up, trying to live up to the the myth and the idealized version of Captain America. One of the the things that I was really drawn to in his arc was how, at one point. He goes crazy and he kills one of the terrorists and he he gets court-martialed and uh, they basically, you know, kick him out and he just has this uh, – he's telling them that, you know, he he had to do a lot of ugly things in mm-hmm. as a regular guy, as a soldier, in just to be the hero that they wanted him to be. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, like – 
you know, all he ever did was just what he what the people in charge told him to do, you know? And that mm-hmm. was some pretty compelling drama right there. The other bit of drama that I was really drawn to was the entire thing about him not him not having superpowers, not being a super soldier in spite of the <clears> fact <throat> that everybody it felt like everybody and their mom was a super soldier, had some <laughs> super soldier serum in them. Except for and, the Falcon. Yeah. Huh? Except for the Falcon. Except for the Falcon, right? But at one point when he's fighting the Dora Milaje and they're just like, you know, they basically just messed him up. And mm-hmm. he, he, there's this one scene where he's just sitting there and he's just like, they didn't even have superpowers. Yeah. And the way that Wyatt Russell delivers that, like, I believe that he was broken in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, was good, that was a good scene. That was a great scene. He, they it broke really his was. spirit, man. Yeah. I also like the part where he was talking to Lamar, and like this is after he picked up the the last surviving vial of the Super Soldier Serum, and he's and he was asking him like, "What would you do if you had this?" Which which I really liked that conversation between the two because it was it was showcasing that he really isn't just a hot headed guy who will just do whatever he wants. He really does think about the ramifications to some extent, even though he's not fully aware of what that will mean. Yeah. Um, and. When they first introduced John Walker, uh, I liked what he said initially before he wore the Captain America mantle. I was like completely okay with him. Then he kind of came off like a bit of an asshole. But then you got a better sense of of who he was, how he viewed the world as a, as an ex soldier, like the physical regimen, his his like physical skill sets, which were super peaked up for being a regular human being. Yeah, and while I didn't approve of him killing that terrorist because he wasn't the one who killed, didn't kill Lamar. While I didn't so much care about the terrorist being dead, I did care about the fact that he did it out of anger and not out of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it wasn't also, just anger. Like he was, he was crazy in that moment. <laughs> right. Right. And it was also like a symbolic contrast because like, it, like, the idea of Steve Rogers is that even in a similar situation, Steve Rogers would not have killed that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's what made the dividing line. Now, that being said, the court martial was a complete joke. I felt, I honestly felt bad for John Walker because even though he would, still came off in his little remark as a little st- standoffish, like he was right though. He, like he only did what they asked him to do, which is, you yeah. know, he, he put down a terrorist, whether or not we agree how he did it, like he was doing his job. And like it was like, but like it was a nice commentary on on the world we live in now, which is you're you're great until you need to be used as a scapegoat, and then you're shit out of luck. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess in a way you, we could probably or possibly interpret that as a commentary on military veterans in some way, right? Like there's a lot of stories about how hard it is when when people come back and you know they're they're people that have served the country but when they're inconvenient they're just discarded yeah yeah i will say that this version so when we talked about our uh about falcon and the Win- and the winter soldier uh in our previous podcast we did mention well, I actually I don't remember if we mentioned this or not, but um, 
I want to say that our general impression of the U.S. agent slash John Walker has never been one where we had really anything good to say about him. He's he's kind of a character that is. He's kind of a jobber. He's yeah. He's kind of. It, yeah, there we go. That was I was looking for a nicer way to say it, but yeah, the guy's kind of a joke. But I will say that this version of US Agent I actually liked this version of US Agent, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I even think the costume they finally found a way to make it work for me, you know? I, yeah, it looked like his comic book costume with the star on his uh yeah. on well, one side of his chest. Even I I'd even go as far as to say I I, I to say that I think I like it better than the comic book version. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it it might be my ideal preferred version of the U.S. agent. Nice, man. Yeah. Nice. So they like I I have never cared about U.S. agent, but they finally found a way to get get me to care with this version of him. Yeah, this is probably my favorite use of U.S. agent in exactly. a story. Exactly. So it's probably going to replace the the Thunderbolts John Walker as just John Walker. Yeah, yeah. I liked how they were able to have his uh, friendship with Lamar uh, work as a contrast of sorts to Sam and Bucky too. Like that was yeah, really well sure. done. And like you guys were saying, like all the buildup uh, throughout the series really worked because you could believe why he would lose his crap at the terrorist at the end of uh, episode four. Yeah. I mean, it, it was cool to see, uh, I guess, that it wasn't just him losing his mind because just because he was a jerk or anything, you know? Like, yeah. this was his best friend who got killed with one punch, basically, Yeah. by a super soldier. And... Walker just lost his mind after that. Um, so it, it made sense in context, man. Because, like, what else, how else would you expect a person to react in a situation yeah. like that? Yeah, especially since, like, Lamar was his best friend and the only person who really understood what he went through because they fought together in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they were close enough where where after everything was over, he went to Lamar's family and, and talked to them. Yeah. But the the one criticism I do have about the character in the show is that I would say the, the final episode, I think it kind of dropped the ball in terms of portraying his character arc. Like, here's the thing. The very end scene he got, the little epilogue he had with the Contessa, uh-huh. I thought that was good. It made sense. Like, that was a good place to leave him at. But everything else in the episode leading up to that point, it felt abrupt to me because... At the very end of episode five, you know, he had just lost the shield in a battle against Sam and Bucky. And then at the the end credits of episode five, you see him basically going renegade. He's he's making his own shield and he's gonna Yeah, you know, do his own thing now that he, he doesn't that he's been uh, discharged from government service. But then when he shows up in episode six he just works with Sam and Bucky without any qualms, you know? Like, nobody seemed to care that he was still wearing his Captain America suit and fighting the Flag Smashers. And all we really get from him is that moment when he decides to try and help pull up that truck that was going to f- fall down. 
Yeah. But it, it didn't really feel like there was any... It didn't really feel like he had any consequences for, you know, going out in, in public like that one more time and doing his thing. Like Sam and Bucky just saw him and they were like, okay, I guess we need the help because there's a lot of flags. cool now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know if they're really cool, but I mean, in that moment, like, are they really going to sit there and have a discussion as to whether or not he's going to help them when they're trying to fend off terrorists trying to kill a bunch of senators? Maybe, maybe that's true, but even... I think maybe it could have helped if at the end of that scene or at the end of the battle when things had calmed down, maybe if they showed directly to the viewer, you know, this is the aftermath of John Walker's uh, final actions wearing his Captain America suit in public. Like what, like the reporters were all there. They were talking to, to Sam and, uh, it it just was strange to me that nobody nobody really cared about John Walker being there. Like there wasn't really I guess there wasn't a sense of closure or a sense of completeness to showing how he got from the end of episode five to how the he end was of disgraced. episode six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was basically disgraced in episode five and, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like <clears throat> nobody really cares anymore. He doesn't care. Because uh, he seemed like he seemed pretty fine with with he just going out, beating <laughs> I, Yeah, he got over it. I I get your point. I, I don't honestly disagree with you. I mean, I think it would have been nice if when they came back into contact in episode six, if there was at least a one line exchange saying, "Wait, what are you doing here?" It's like, look, I'm just gonna I'm just doing my thing to help, like or something yeah. to the effect of like, okay, we don't really have time to talk about this, but at least we're like, why? Like at least addressing the confusion, of like why would he suddenly be there when he, like you said, he was disgraced in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't really acknowledge that he had done anything wrong or that that he was you know, that he that he was okay with the situation. He just showed up, fought a bunch of people, and then we end up with his epilogue with the Contessa at the very end. How about this? We just had a discussion about object permanence. Maybe we found <laughs> spiritual enlightenment off screen because just because we don't see him doesn't mean that he ceases to exist <laughs> that's true i could i could tell myself that while he was off screen he he became a christian or something <laughs> well well to be, well, to be fair near the end of episode five when he was walking away from the court from the not, i don't know if it was a court martial or it was he does say I am Captain America. So he so he goes into episode six with the mentality that he really doesn't believe he did anything wrong, or at least mm -hmm. the, the focus of like he is still a soldier, he still did what he was told to do, and he shouldn't feel the brunt of the humiliation. And he so like I don't really think that he was per se humiliated. Like from the external point of view, we could say like he they were attempting to humiliate him and he was aware of that, but he chose to not feel humiliated and take ownership of his life and say, you know what? They may not call me Captain America, but I am Captain America. And I think he yeah. came into that scene with the mentality of like, I'm going to take them down because I have nothing else to do. I have like, that's, that's my mission now is to like, to kind of avenge Lamar's death, avenge my purpose right now. Yeah. 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 I but, can see that. But at the end, like, like if Sam's getting a spotlight to give his little speech, like, yeah, wouldn't the media be curious to ask why the heck is John Walker out there when he was literally explicitly told you will not wear this shield or this symbol anymore? Like, 
Mm-hmm. Like, that would also be, but I understand that from the purposes of telling a story in a TV show, you can't have two different characters giving two speeches at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like after Falcon was done, he was like, "Excuse me, now I have something to say." <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the director's cut, the extra long sixth episode. I would have. I would have I enjoyed that scene. That would have been funny, dude. It would have been <laughs> hilarious. And then for that, there's an extra long scene where they interview Bucky. He, so Falcon finishes his speech, and then John Walker pulls out a glass and a spoon and starts tapping the side of the glass. <laughs> He's like, hey, guys. All right. Bit of attention, please. Now. <laughs> I was just kept watching, and I'm still playing Captain America dress-up. Any questions? Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys well, think of dancing zemo i i i i'm all i'm all for dancing zemo yeah shannis didn't you uh a few minutes ago didn't you say that you thought baron zemo was one of your favorite characters in the series he was my favorite character of this whole series like yeah i would i did not know what they're gonna do with him but the moment he came out and did everything he did like it was just it was just pure gold Quick yeah, question. it really was. Like his it, his manipulative ways were were on point. And the truth is, just despite the fact he still ended back in prison and he didn't really seem to change, he did change to some respect. Like there was sort of an arc for him. Mm-hmm. Like there's a you you get the impression that even though he believes that what he did was right, he still apologized to Bucky because he he like all he wanted was just to stop having superpowered people. Yeah, and. While he still believes that the ends justify the means, meaning that he'll kill people as he needs to, like he wasn't trying to take down the world or take down the system. He just wanted to stop superpower people from just existing, yeah. and 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 making a mess of things. But yeah, he never was interesting how he he decided that Bucky wasn't worth being a target to him. Right, and he never actually betrayed their trust either. He yeah, their own he promised. Yeah, yeah, that was, is that was even more interesting. He was an honorable baron, and like yeah. and I think this fits in with because I'm I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to do they're planning a thunderbolts with him because while I wouldn't call him a hero, and I probably would still call him a villain, he's more like an anti-villain in some sorts. Like he's not trying to take over the world. He's not looking for power and glory and do the mwahaha evil laugh thing. He just wants a world in which people can live without the worry about who's going to smash our house down in the next five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to what you just said about how he didn't betray their trust. Cause I thought that was a pretty fascinating element to his story. There's that scene uh, when the, the Doras are fighting John Walker and Lamar and Zemo manages to escape. <laughs> but like, you kind of think that that's the point when when he's gonna you know be on the run and and start enacting his own plans, but that's not really what happens. So he still ends up in custody at the end. So I I thought it was interesting that they did play him as someone who who kept his word because the whole time I'm I'm just waiting for him to you know to show his true colors or or whatever you want to call it to betray them. He did when he wore his little purple mask. He showed his true colors. Yeah, it was great to see him wearing the mask. Yeah. I will say that maybe I'm not quite as convinced as you guys, because I did get the sense that he was 
playing some 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 version four dimensional of chess. four dimensional chess exactly because you know the final scene that we see of him he's pretty he's, smug he's not just smug but it's <clears throat> pretty clear that he's still moving pieces on the board even from behind bars right yeah yeah so maybe just maybe there's a chance that him playing by the rules uh, you know, and not tricking uh, or or not turning against Bucky and uh, Falcon was part, you know. Yeah, it's in part terms of the of, long game. Exactly. In terms of what's going to happen later on in the MCU, so I can't say for now, but it wouldn't surprise me if it turns out that as a part of his long game, as part of his overall plan, it it. It does require that he, you know, take the loss right now, take the L right now, you know. Mhm. Mhm. Also, like there were a lot of times in between scenes where we get the where we understand that he's alone, he's not being supervised. So, for all we know, he was setting things up, planning things while he was out of prison and had more access to his connections. But yeah. when saying he didn't betray their trust, I, I didn't mean to imply that he was doing everything by the book and being a good person, like. We clearly saw scenes where the, the the way he interacted, the way the way he did things, still put Bucky and um, Sam at risk to some extent. But he, but it's just more like he came through on his promise, but he never promised that he wouldn't kill the Flag Smashers. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to. Oh, were you gonna say something, Drew? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I wanted. So you mentioned that, uh, Shaynes, You mentioned that. You uh you liked how Baron Zemo came off uh as one of your favorite characters in this miniseries. And I'm kinda curious, what were your opinions of Baron Zemo prior to to watching this? Did well, you have any? I, I thought he was a fine antagonist in Civil War, but because of how involved Civil War was with other things going on. Oh, I sorry, to clarify, I meant of Baron Zemo, the character in the comics. Oh, in the comics. Um, you know the truth was is, was he someone that you had ever thought of prior? <laughs> I I was aware of him as a character, but I I don't think I've read too many stories in which he had any real prominence, at least as far as I can recall. So all I knew that he was just some purple ski mask wearing dude that was like he was alive during the era of Red Skull and, the, and World War II, right? He was a former Nazi as well. Yeah, I think his, his dad father. was the villain. That was his yeah. father, okay. Um, so I didn't think much of his character because again, I haven't read enough Captain America comics where Baron Zemo was prominent enough for me to like think too much of him. But the way they treat, the way they handle Baron Zemo in the movies is is drastically different from what I was familiar with regarding Baron Zemo in the comic books. Oh, yeah, you need to I check out think... some Thunderbolts, dude. Yeah, I, I do think that Zemo's character in the MCU is pretty different from how he is in the comics, but it it's it's still fascinating to me. I mean, Zemo in the comics, he's one of my favorite Marvel villains for sure. Yeah, he's, I think we mentioned it. He's uh, an underdog. In, <laughs> yeah, in our other episode, I think we mentioned how he's a guy that works as somebody with grand ambitions for world domination. But he works equally as well in simple plans of petty revenge 
<laughs> which, which is weird here because like i guess you could say that baron zemo was a, was pursuing a goal of revenge because he because you know sokovia was wrecked because of the avengers and so forth but like but it wasn't like targeted revenge like yeah he wasn't trying to he wasn't yeah like you said he was, it wasn't targeted revenge the thing that i think makes zemo in the mcu united in heart and spirit with the comic book version of Zemo is that they're both really clever characters. They're yeah, they are. They yeah. are. That is a character that plays four dimensional chess, you know, yeah. like his, his plan with the Thunderbolts in the comics was pretty, that was a pretty devious plan, man. Yeah. That original Kurt Busiek Thunderbolts that first yeah. year, like he, he's tricky. He, yeah, he had a plan and, his plan very nearly succeeded. So it's cool to see that they made the MCU Zemo this thinking kind of character. He's not a character that relies on being a better fighter or marksman or anything like that. He's a guy that has a devious mind and he uses everything in his knowledge and his his means to attain what he wants to achieve yeah no i i'm glad that we have a villain like that because you, you can only get so much punching and kicking action with villains before you're like can we get something a little bit different something that really yeah. challenges the heroes yeah. in a way they're not expecting exactly exactly yeah. especially when bucky and sam are both soldiers like they their whole experience in the pursuit of justice is we'll punch our way through justice although sam is is also very willing to talk about things but I would not put Sam or Bucky on the same mental level as Baron Zemo. Like he could, he could walk circles around them all day long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to add to the conversation uh, on, on, on Zemo, like, I think I want to give credit to the actor that plays him. Uh, yeah. Daniel Brule. Mm-hmm. That guy is awesome. Like, I've only seen him in one other thing, but I loved the other thing that he was in, which was Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. And he was just great in that, too. So, you know, Daniel Brühl, the actor, is just, he's solid, man. Yeah, he did a great job with Baron Zemo. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting, because at the end of um, Civil War, like, there's... He's definitely more sinister and maybe even menacing. And when when we see him again here in this series in Falcon and Winter Soldier, like I don't think he's quite as <clears throat> menacing. Like you you did mention that he it's clear that he comes off as a guy where you can see the gears turning in his head. He's mm-hmm. he's clearly like got smarts going on for him, but yeah, just there are certain just, scenes he has that that he's charming and he's humor. kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. humor yeah. and charm. Like that yeah. that one scene in the airplane when when uh, they're talking about Marvin Gaye and Trouble Man. <laughs> <laughs> like that that was something that made me laugh, man. And and um, you could kind of tell that even Sam was taken aback when when Zemo started effusively praising Marvin Gaye and <laughs> Trouble Man. I do want to go back to your comment, Albert, about how Baron Zemo 
was more menacing in Civil War. Like, and I, I think it's more that I think the intent was to kind of have the audience perceive him as being more menacing. But by the end of that movie, right, you realize that he really wasn't trying to up anything. Like, in fact, the last thing we see him is that he's just sitting on the snow and, you know, Black Panther came to kind of arrest him. Well, the thing that I'd say about that is I think at that point he had already achieved his goal in that, I mean, he had mentioned already that he was just a regular guy and he would never be able to do anything to, you know, gods and aliens. But all he wanted to do was to release their secrets and have them and shatter the bonds that bound them. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it reminds me of, of the last season of angel, uh, you know, by Joss Whedon, um, Mm -hmm. Buffy and angel. Mm -hmm. And the very last episode of that series you know, spoilers uh, for a I show that's completely unrelated to this movie. Or I, have to this one, I have a whole series on DVD. Uh, yeah, but the very last episode of that series, so the the premise of that series or, or the final season of that series was that Angel finally gets the keys to, to basically all the power uh, that's offered to him by Evil Incarnate, right? Uh-huh. And in the final season... He, he finally sees how the inner workings of evil actually functions. And he decides in the final episode of the final season that evil is just too big of a concept, too big of a, a force to just be a villain that you can defeat. And he tells himself, what we're going to do uh, is that we're going to stop the gears of evil just for a split second, just to show them, just to remind the world that we might not be able to beat them, but for a split second, we can stop them. And that's what the point of us as heroes is, is to continuously fight the forces of evil. It's not to ever win. The point isn't ever to win it. The point is that we fight, right? Right. So, and it reminds me of what Baron Zemo does here because, again, like the forces that he's contending against are just so much bigger than he is that his win isn't to actually defeat the Avengers. His win is to tarnish them. Mm -hmm. And in that scene when he's sitting in the snow, he already knew he had won already. He had gotten everything that he wanted and he was ready to kill himself and just to be done with it. Mm hmm. You know, and even if they had arrested him, that final scene when, you know, he finally gets arrested and he's just sitting in his prison cell, his prison cube or whatever you want to call it, like, he's pretty content with himself. Yeah. You know? Pretty satisfied with what he accomplished. Exactly. What did you guys think about what they did with Sharon Carter? You know, I accept it, but I didn't like it. Yeah, same yeah. here. I just seeing as, as she's like the the niece or grandniece, whatever, of Peggy Carter, and she went from being a good person in Civil War to, yeah, you're on the run, you got the sh- you know the the short end of the stick, but like you're now like a crime lord and like 
don't know, just I it did I, ring I, true I to her character in the intervening years, but it just seemed like a strange place to take her character. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lesser person, it would make sense for them to become this embittered jerk, right? This mm-hmm. embittered uh corrupted jerk. But not Sharon Carter. You know? Yeah. It just didn't feel like it rang true. Yeah. 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 That that definitely didn't ring true to her character. And I would say not just her character in the comics, but the, her even her character in the MCU, like what you were saying. But it, it also kind of feels like, based on what we know about her character from the comics, it's kind of a disrespectful move <laughs> to make her the power broker. Well, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the comic books. I'm just saying, in like you was like you were pointing out, like my whole comment is in the internality of the MCU. It it seemed against her character. Her very nature was to kind of fall in the footsteps of Peggy Carter, of to of to do good and to 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 do her best to really be fill that role, right? Like, I don't know. Just we get we had nothing in between, so we don't know what happened. But it just it seems like a strange transition where. She'll risk everything to to do what's right by Captain America and and others to only to do everything that's wrong by everybody in the world. Do you think that there's any possibility that she's still a super spy and that she's just playing her own version of four dimensional chess? So that's what I was thinking about earlier today after you told me that we're gonna do this little podcast and I was like thinking like because it's bother me it's like what if what if they're just not showing us everything that they plan with Sharon Carter? What if she is just playing a long con? And she has, just has to keep on playing the role of the villain because there's a bigger villain that's going to be revealed later on. Yeah. Take down. Do you think that's likely? I I hope that that's the reason because an evil Sharon Carter just doesn't just just doesn't work for me. Do you think Sharon Carter in the Falcon and Winter Soldier? Oh, she was she could be a, she could be a scroll. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Is she a scroll? I don't know. I um I, I mean, think there's I mean, a chance. There's a chance, but it feels like her machinations represent more of somebody who's aware of how the spy system in the, in the on Earth works, rather than somebody who's just trying to take over her physical form. Um, well, okay, so the. F- the last thing that we see of Sharon Carter in the series is she gets reinstated in a pretty high position within the uh, security apparatus of the government, right? Mm-hmm. And she's walking away. As she's walking away, it's implied that she, she, as she's walking away, she's talking on her cell phone, and it's implied from what we hear uh, that she is now selling weapons on the black markets but uh there's a chance that you know us not knowing who she's necessarily talking to on the other end of that line um if she is a scroll and also to add an extra note um one of the events that's going to come out later on in phase four is going to be Secret Invasion, which is a scroll storyline. Um, so when she when she's walking away on the phone, she's talking about how she's going to now have access to all this high-tech uh, weaponry and just 
devices, for all we know, it could be towards the goal of the scrolls and their and whatever they have going on. So that's that's a possibility. That's a good point. That can be kind of cool. So are you saying that she's a scroll in that in that scenario? Yep. I'm saying that if if it's revealed that she actually is a scroll, uh-huh. then that final line that she gives when she's on the cell phone, there's a way to interpret that where she might not be dealing with a black market weapons dealer. She could be talking to a scroll, another scroll, another scroll, and that what she says still applies uh, or is still valid in that situation. It's mm-hmm. true, yeah, that that could work. So you, yeah. you think maybe she was talking to Queen Varanki or someone? Yeah, or sure. I mean, you know, or his ad, or uh, the Queen's administrative assistant. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about this crazy theory wait 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 she's a queen her executive assistant <laughs> yes that is true <laughs> Royal what about this crazy scenario do you think sharon carter was talking to norman osborne on the phone no uh no i that's that's some fanboy wishful thinking if, if that's a thing was that was that one of the things that they mentioned in the article i, I might have missed that yeah so you know how so here's here's the ridiculous fanboy theory so you know how in spider-man no way no way home they're having the multiverse and we're gonna have you know toby Maguire and andrew garfield and uh, Alfred Molina as Doctor Octopus. Yeah. So yeah. they're saying that. Wait, did they actually did they actually confirm that we'll get Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man in there? I don't think Disney has officially confirmed it, but I think Alfred Molina officially confirmed it. <laughs> yeah. I read that he gave an interview. And Jamie Fox is confirmed too. Oh yeah, Jamie Fox is in it. So you're gonna have different people from different iterations of spider-man yeah and they're also saying that willem dafoe is gonna appear as norman osborne slash green goblin and there's the theory the crazy fanboy theory is that our spider-man the tom holland spider-man is gonna encounter the willem dafoe green goblin learn that he's norman osborne and somehow learn that he's a really bad dude. And when he gets back to the MCU, he's going to be on the lookout for Norman Osborn. Hmm. But the Norman Osborn of the MCU so far up to this point hasn't put on a goblin costume and thrown pumpkin bombs at people or thrown any girlfriends off a bridge. Has he even been introduced (laughs) in the MCU currently? No. So the theory is that he that the theory is that Norman Osborn exists in the MCU, but at this point in time, he's just a respectable businessman. Yeah. Which I mean, technically that makes sense, but if they turn that into a movie thing, I I, I can't help but think that that would just be pretty dumb. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, w- I would be kind of annoyed if the crazy fanboy theory 
turned yeah. out to be accurate. It's it's the kind of theory that's specifically for fanboys because they just eat, they gobble up that sort of um, the dopamine rush that they get from connecting those kinds of dots. Yeah, you know, totally. Like it's it, you totally see it happening on the DC side of the of the DCU where. They're just doing all sorts of, um, I mean, they're trying to do their multiverse stuff on that that end. Michael Keaton coming back as Batman, right? It, mm-hmm. Not just that, but uh, I think on the Flash show, they had the the other Flash show up from the movies. Ezra Miller, so, yeah. Ezra Miller. So that wasn't was the, the the Crisis crossover thing they did last year. Yeah. So you know the fans were. I imagine that the the diehard fanboys were just like all about that because they were like, "Do you see? They they saw each other. They exist to each other. So, the multiverse so is real. It's all connected." <laughs> your your fanboy voice is almost as entertaining as your 1920s Chicago gangster. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Did you guys think uh, before the final episode revealed it? Did, did you guys? think that the Contessa could have been the power broker? Because that was what I thought until I saw the last episode. That's what I thought in episode five, but I didn't know who Contessa was as a character in the comic books. So I had no point of reference. Yeah. Um, Okay. Had I read any stories about her from the comic books, I would have probably guessed that she's not the power broker. Yeah. I, I, I had a similar thing going on with, uh, Shanice in that, well, you had to remind me that I actually did know who the character was. I just kind of forgotten. Yeah. But, but I was more just uh, surprised that Julia Louis Dreyfus was in it. I was just like, oh, that's <laughs> a random choice. <laughs> yeah. According to the rumors, she's supposed to appear in the Black Widow movie, but I don't. Again, that's just a rumor. I don't know if that's true. Uh. Huh. I mean, so like, she would fit in with that world, though. Yeah, actually, yeah. you and I were texting early on, I think, after the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I made the comment about like, how it was odd that um, General Ross didn't show yeah. up to be the yeah. one holding the the uh, the shield. Because mm-hmm. I felt like that would have been a great context for kind of giving a more connection to the military aspect of of the agenda of the super soldier serum and like the government's still trying to accomplish that goal. Yeah. And Maybe they just couldn't afford to pay the actor. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Oh yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention uh, that came as a surprise to me in the series was that they had all these other super soldiers. That was something that I wasn't expecting when we first saw the trailer. Yeah. Me so neither. the, the revelation that, the Flag Smashers all got their hands on, like, black market super soldier serum. That was that was something that I had not predicted or expected. Yeah, same here, same here. But now the Contessa has the last super soldier from that group with U.S. Agent. Yeah. What, what do you think her game plan is? What What's her agenda here? Is she Madam Hydra? I mean, she sort of looks like it, the way that... Her hair is done up. Yeah, right? and in in Jonathan Hickman's Secret Warriors, the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine was Madame Hydra. Yeah. 
But actually, but in MCU, isn't Hydra now defunct? In the MCU, but you know they could is always it completely defunct, or are there still true believers out there? Are is there a chance that they could be funked? <laughs> are they funked? <laughs> are they funked? I mean, they've been funked pretty hard, I guess. <laughs> hey, I I have one other question for you guys um, mm-hmm. regarding yes, John Walker. So, in the scene where John Walker loses it and he kills uh, one of the terrorists, right? Yeah. Were you? Was it your belief in that scene that that was all John Walker, or? Was there any part of you that thought that when he took the super soldier serum, it drove him a little crazy? Like Roid rage? Yeah. I, I believe that was all John Walker. Yeah, it's all John Walker because he didn't flip out until Lamar had his spine cracked and just like was dead. Like up but, until that point. But even in that scene, like when when he steals the the final vial of super soldier serum and he takes it. He does seem a little off after that, but he could have just been feeling his confidence come from being a super soldier, I guess. Yeah, I think that was that was it. Because if you look, if you think about the other flag smashers who had taken the serum, yeah. it didn't really look like they had roid rage or anything like that. That's true. It didn't That's really true. seem to affect them like that. And they had it longer than he did. So yeah. I would have imagined that if roid rage was a symptom of the serum, then wouldn't the people who had it in their systems a longer time have more of those effects? Yeah, that's true. Okay, you've convinced me. I still, I, I felt it was worth asking, but... Yeah, yeah. and on top of that... Um, this isn't necessarily a scientific reading of the show, but on an emotional level, the dialogue scene between Lamar and John Walker, when they were, when he asked Lamar if he would take the soldier, super soldier serum, if he had a chance, I think Lamar said something like, hells yeah, doesn't it just make you more of what you are? You know, like it, like he, he was basically conveying to john walker and i guess to the audience as well that taking the super soldier serum just makes you more of what already exists you know so like if you're already like steve rogers you just become steve rogers to the nth degree and basically the idea that if you're already a good guy then it would just give you the ability to do even more good you know like it he was saying he kind of made that emotional explanation where it's like the the super soldier serum just turns you into like the best version of you yeah yeah Yeah. and again it's not based in any kind of science that we see in the show but it kind of feels like that was the show's attempt to tell us the viewer that that's how the serum works because in practical terms that that is pretty much what happens Um, with the Flag Smashers. I mean, Carly was this teenage girl who had her aspirations of some some kind of ideology and the serum gave her the means to basically throw a temper tantrum so hard that it became terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) That's a... 
That's a pretty funny way of uh, phrasing that. <laughs> well, it, it gives me pleasure to hear you laugh, Albert. So I want to say whatever I can to tickle your mind. <laughs> well done. You've done your job then. You have achieved your goal. The other character I liked seeing was Isaiah Bradley, man. That was cool to see him in the show. That is definitely cool. Uh, for people who don't, uh, who aren't necessarily aware uh, this is the Captain America, or Isaiah Bradley was in a miniseries, or first introduced in a miniseries called Truth, Red, White, and Black. And the basic concept of that uh, miniseries was that uh, the super soldier serum was tested on black soldiers, very much like the Tuskegee, was it Tuskegee experiments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much like the Tuskegee experiments that actually happened in real life, uh, where black soldiers were purposely infected with, uh, I believe it was like syphilis, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it posited the question of, well, prior to getting the 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 desired result of Captain America with the super soldier serum, what if they or yeah, what if they had tested it on unwitting uh, black soldiers, and and we see that uh, brought to the screen with Isaiah Bradley, um, mm-hmm. and and it was a nice shout out to that comic. It was nice to to see it realized, you know. Yeah, that's such a great comic that everybody should check out, man. Rob Morales a, and Cal Baker. It's yeah, it's an excellent comic. Yeah really great use of the character and and having those scenes with him uh meeting sam in the earlier episodes to the to the final episode like that was that 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 made sense to me like yeah i think some people might have their qualms about how isaiah watched sam on tv and all of a sudden he's like oh okay this boy is special you know like but to me, I, I was I actually bought into that. Like I I thought that it it made sense for him to to basically you know change his mind about Sam and and give Sam the respect that yeah. I think Sam deserves. I will. Do you think? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I will. I wanted to add one other thing, which was I think comics have well, comics obviously have this long history, and a lot of the times people like to take characters and make additions to their backstories or their, their histories. And it doesn't always hit, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but truth, red, white, and black is maybe the best example of one of those, uh, additions that works. Right. Yeah. For me personally, a lot of the times it's like, you know, Batman has a long lost brother. (laughs) Or, or Peter uh, Parker has a long lost half sister or something. Yeah. Or Peter Parker's uh, parents were spies for the government. Yeah. Or did you know that that old man that Daredevil saved was actually a horrible monster? So when Daredevil saved him, he he thought he was doing a good thing, but what he was actually doing was letting a monster out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that really a plot thread? Daredevil father. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Daredevil Father. <laughs> I ended up getting rid of that comic, and I haven't read it since. I mean, Joe Quesada's art is great, but that was not an addition to the, his backstory that I needed. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I think the revelation was that the old man that Daredevil saved was actually like a child molester or something like that. So, Dude, you're right. That's right. He had to live with the fact that he lost his eyesight saving a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that's a pretty funny twist. It's, I mean, it, it shouldn't be funny, but it is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, look, I I like Joe Quesada. Uh, I'm going to give it to you, but, you know, mad respect. But, uh, yeah, that's that hurts. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not one of his best. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Shanus, uh, do you need to get going? Yeah, I gotta get going. Uh, got a lot of stuff I need to take care of tomorrow. Gotta be up early. <clears throat> Makes sense, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Uh, it, was, it was nice to be able to talk about um, Falcon and Little Soldier. It was, it yeah, was a totally. good series. Totally. Good to catch up, dude. Yeah, yep. Albert and I will probably stay on and wrap up the conversation but thanks for joining us shanis oh thanks for the invite it's always good yep catch you next time see you next time guys albert do you think we're uh one step closer to seeing the young avengers uh i'm sure it's on the horizon it wouldn't surprise me like from a business perspective um you know for 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 marvel for disney like it only makes sense for them to continue to build out their stable of characters. So Young Avengers just feels obvious. Yeah. Uh, and they yeah. introduced Eli Bradley in the in this series, so Yeah. Totally. And he was uh I believe he was Patriot, right? Yeah. In the comics. Yeah. So we're one step closer to the edge and we about to break. <laughs> were there any particular themes or concepts or ideas that the series explored that you want to touch on i think well i i mentioned it earlier but it's worth mentioning again uh well i guess it's i'll 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 go into it a little more in depth uh but the big thing looming over the series for me was the idea of Captain America's legacy and what it means to what it means in like its various forms to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I don't know if the legacy or the idea of Captain America is a stand in for the American ideal in this case. Like, I'm sure that if I really sat and thought about it, I could make that connection. But Honestly, seeing as how it's a little late and I'm a little tired, <laughs> I don't think I have the like mental acuity to do that quite at the moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, on the face of it, a lot of a lot of the show is definitely about the idea of Captain America. I mean, there's there's a reason that everybody was a super soldier, right? Yeah. Um, at least as far as uh, the thematic storytelling goes. So you have uh, John Walker who feels like he, who's, who's the guy who wants to be the next Captain America. You have Sam Wilson, who's the guy who was 
for more for the better lack of a word, anointed to, to be the next Captain America, but doesn't want the title. Mm-hmm. Then you have these other super soldiers who who are almost Captain America by who have in them the 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 material that made that that could make them the equivalent of Captain America's physical prowess. Yeah. Right. They have but, his power set. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, they're super soldiers, mm-hmm. but they have they're completely uh. They, they don't have his moral compass. They don't have his moral compass, and if anything, their entire moral uh their entire worldview. I don't know. Maybe it runs parallel to his because they they're fighting for the downtrodden or what they believe are the downtrodden, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's definitely a warped version, uh, or like the way that they fight for it is definitely warped relative yeah. to what Captain America would actually do. Yeah, I don't remember Captain America bombing innocent civilians. Or any or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That that's an interesting point to to consider how the metaphor of the super soldier plays out in the series. Yeah, it's interesting how the the one dude who didn't have the serum or superpowers, Sam, he ended up being the the ideal. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, exactly right. So again, it goes to that point where Captain America isn't his powers. Captain America is is his uh, the heart, is his the message. attitude, the message. Yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. It yeah. that absolutely matters. Yeah, it, it it can't just be the powers because there are tons of people that have similar powers or or just are even stronger or faster yeah. or whatever. There were. What they said the flag smashers there were like twenty of them right or something like that something like that yeah oh well, like, no they had like twenty vials of the serum I think they said yeah but, and I think I feel like we saw at least like a dozen of them or something yeah it wasn't a small number yeah but you know just it just goes to show that none of them like met their mark right mm-hmm. like a tw- a chance at twelve Captain Americas and none of them were Captain America. They were all just misguided uh, terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What did you think about what the show had to say about race and representation? Um, yeah, I, 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 I felt like... So I mentioned earlier that when, um, you know, when Falcon was first brought out, as uh captain america in the comics there was a lot of hullabaloo surrounding that Mm -hmm. and uh in some cases some of the things that were said were overtly racist and in other Mm -hmm. cases maybe less so Mm -hmm. perhaps you could call it thinly veiled racism yeah maybe just yeah maybe maybe it was dog whistling maybe in other cases there were generally genuinely people who where it wasn't a race thing and you know for whatever reason they just didn't like sam wilson as captain america i like i'm not yeah, gonna that's a possibility say, yeah i'm not gonna say it's absolutely all this one thing right yeah, yeah but 
I I do think, and I mentioned this earlier, but the the format of the show felt like it was in response to that, and I think that makes sense, especially considering like the complicated race issues uh, that are going around, and mm-hmm. the one line or the one scene that jumps out at me is right at the very end when Sam, you know, decides that he's going to be Captain America and he's given that speech. And like I said earlier, like he covers a lot of stuff in that speech, but one of the things that he says is like, you know, I get it. I'm a black man dressed as Captain America. And no matter what I do to some people, I'm never going to be Captain America, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there was a lot of, uh, truth to power in that you know yeah totally man and yeah and it's even though it exists as a comic even though it existed as a comic i I think it's still i guess it was still worth mentioning because even though the reality of it is that at this point in time this character existed as Captain America. All all the writers can do is write that story the best they can and mm-hmm. uh, try to spread the ideals of of Captain America, right? Yeah. And and earn it with every you know with every action that he takes, with every step that he takes, because at the end of the day that's 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 all he can do to try to change the hearts and minds of the people that won't accept him yeah 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 that's a good point it kind of makes me think what you said kind of makes me think about uh just the uh environment we're in nowadays where it it's there are people that think Americans should look a certain way or whatever, you know? It's like, if, like, I don't know, I just think about, like, immigrants, right? Like, my parents are immigrants, and and there'd be, there are people out there in our country who would, who would, you know, look down upon somebody who's, who's English, has an accent, or isn't perfect English, and, and things like that, but really, what, what makes somebody more american than another you know and sometimes sometimes it is you know just a just a racist thing where it's like i don't know just this entitlement where it's like real americans you know look and sound a certain way and yeah and yeah i just don't think that's true it's there's there's diversity yeah i mean one could argue that the the story of america is the story of immigrants and you know, even the the people that that we venerate, the ones that supposedly were the first Americans, it's not like they were like from here. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. I mean, there were other people living in this, yeah. in this country before. You remember the story of the Pilgrims, right? <laughs> they got here on a boat. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the entire point of that story. Exactly. Uh, so yeah 
it, it makes sense how in, in the show there's this idea of of uh you know sam saying those things in his speech it kind of it's kind of like being a a voice for i don't know if it's a voice for the voiceless but it's just a voice in favor of representation you know like just knowing that acknowledging that that there are whether you want to call it racism or just you know racially charged issues yeah that's that stuff is real and it would have felt dishonest to me if the show didn't address that in any way you know like if they just tried to ignore the fact that he's a black man dressing up in the in the american flag you know it would have been weird to me if they just completely if he was downplayed the fact that yeah he was african-american if sam was just oblivious about it and he was just like yeah i just punch bad guys it's all i do (laughs) yeah exactly not all bad guys are you know stereotypical hand-wringing villains you know like it's (sighs) there's there's a lot more nuance to evil unfortunately yeah and and that's kind of an that's an evil that is probably more relatable for the average person you know like that's something that we actually deal with in everyday life yeah it's the kind of evil that that people can casually ignore because they can tell themselves what i didn't burn a cross on your lawn so how am i a bad person Give me a medal of honor. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I I think that's a really good point that you make. Uh, you know, it just I it feels like a lot of the times, especially with uh in an attempt to make these stories relevant, unfortunately, it means that we have to address uh reality. And yeah. reality means that look that if we look around at the world that does exist around us it it is kind of an ugly place sometimes because there are just ugly ideas out there you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yeah you're you're absolutely right it if this was just a story about sam uh you know being captain america and just punching dudes and that was it 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 would be pretty superficial yeah yeah, I'm glad we got some depth in in the series. That adds to the entertainment. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's a good thing to acknowledge. It's just it makes it feel more more relevant and yeah. you know, unfortunately, that that something negative or you know, just acknowledging racism makes the show feel more relevant. But yeah. it, yeah, I guess I'm just repeating myself now. But it 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 would have been, it would have felt hollow if they ignored it, you know? Yeah, like there are a lot of people, and you know maybe I'm just painting with a broad brush stroke here, but there are a lot of people who would prefer that story because, you know, they don't want to think about it. Yeah. Or and and or they don't want to they don't want to be they don't want to reflect on that sort of thing right because again as far as they're concerned like it's it's either not their problem or 
it's not their experience where uh, they don't see the world that way on a, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So how can the world be that way, right? Yeah. And and instead of looking and reflecting on that and thinking about it and maybe even considering it, they would prefer to shoot the messenger and be like, you're ruining this for me. Yeah, get your because, politics out of my superhero show or whatever. Yeah. But it's like if if I, if I was to live in the world of whatever their preferred entertainment is, it just it just wouldn't reflect anything real. Like I I you know yeah, that isn't to say that there aren't fun comics that don't delve into that, but it at this point with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like the main character, the 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 core concept of the main characters of their story, it's Captain America, man. Like it's uh, it's hard not to extrapolate what it means what america means from that right mhm yeah it's it's like how how can it it kind of has to be political in some way because it's about captain america <laughs> it like how can you tell an apolitical story about captain america it would just be him like punching out some scrolls or something because you know aliens don't count as real people yeah. So it yeah or you you turn it would it could be a story about Captain America turning into a werewolf. But uh yeah, I just it it's good that the show has that layer of depth. You know, and I've I've seen people say say things or make points that the show is trying too hard to be woke or that the social commentary is out of control, but I've also seen people comment on how the show is imperialist propaganda also. So, you know, it, it takes all kinds of people, you know, there are all kinds of people that yeah. have various interpretations of, of how things are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Any final thoughts on the show before we wrap things up? No, I, I think I'm pretty satisfied with what we have to say. Uh, it's it was an entertaining show and uh clearly we had a lot to say about it it clearly made us uh think it made Mm -hmm. us thought (laughs) it made us thought (laughs) (laughs) like yeah just just the very fact that we spent as much time as we did just kind of analyzing and um doing an autopsy over Pouring over all of the materials uh, that a, that yeah, we've there's gleaned still a lot the left show. unsaid too. Like we yeah, we didn't talk about the the refugees and, and like that whole commentary on on that and yeah. yeah, there's a lot of other ideas to explore like identity and justice and, and yeah. stuff like that. So the, it's it's good entertainment that makes you yeah consider you know all these different elements too. For sure, for sure. So, you know, check it out. And, uh, you know, if if you have certain things that you want to mention to us or uh, ideas that you want to 
voice your opinion on, go ahead and hit us up on our social uh, between the gutters at gmail dot uh, between the gutters podcast at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, hit us up on our Instagram, uh, DM us. Uh, we we want to hear from you guys. Uh, you know, tell us more. Uh, if you disagree, let us know. We can, we'd love to talk about it. Uh, additionally, um, you know, if you're, if you're listening to us on, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, uh, we have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe to us there. Uh, or you can follow us on Instagram. Thanks for uh, listening to us, guys. This was an extra long episode. We, we recorded it in two parts, technically speaking, and Shanus couldn't even stay for all of it. <laughs> so, we just had a lot to say. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out. Peace, guys. that scene in madripoor <laughs> yeah where were all the asian people man uh i'm pretty sure that if object permanence is a thing then we can assume that all the asian people were doing their taxes <laughs> <laughs> Great answer, man. Great answer. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Do you think Joaquin Torres is going to be the new Falcon? I don't even know who that is. He was the military dude that was Sam's contact. Is is he in the books? Yeah, in, in the comics, he was he became the Falcon when Sam was Captain America. No way. You're fooling. Yeah. What? You don't believe me, dude? Oh, man, now dude, I got to... Spencer's run. Uh... Huh. I did not know that. Well, I haven't read those comics, so... Uh... Did you read all the, the, the Captain America from Nick Spencer's run already? No, not yet. I I just flipped through my issues... Oh, I've read I've read random bits and pieces of it, but I haven't sat down and read the whole thing since I've gotten it. Okay. I mean, if if what you're saying is true, then and that's if what I'm saying is true, you, you don't believe me, Albert? You don't believe? Me? <laughs> why, Albert? Why you not believe me, man? I've been lied to so much. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> Uh, man. <laughs> oh, man.